Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right, welcome everyone. We have a very special con, well, pod, not a contest. We're going to give away something at the end of the show. Don't worry. We have a very special podcast with Mitch Garber, who's a good friend of mine, known him for many years. And I think you guys are going to really get some insight into the gaming industry. He has uh, been around for a long time. So Mitch, before we uh, dive in, let me just say welcome and, and thank you for taking the time today. Thanks. I mean, I'm just happy to catch up with you too, Jeff. So, you know, everyone's in sort of extraordinary circumstances doing things in a different way than we've ever done them before. Um, it actually fits into your lifestyle quite well. But, um, you know, for, for most people, this is uh, pretty dramatic. So we'll probably talk about that as well. Yeah, no, definitely want to want to cover that situation uh, about COVID and how it impacts uh, everyday life with, I mean, you're in a ton of business stuff. We'll talk about that. A lot of industries that uh, gaming NHL team, you're a minority owner in as well. And sports in, in particular, of course, uh, as a world, we see it just just stop completely. Uh, so we'll definitely cover all that. But Mitch, why don't you just give a little bit of background? You know, the, I, this is a, a poker centric kind of podcast in general, but we do cover other things. And so you're not a uh, you're not a professional poker player. You've been in the industry in poker and gaming a long time. But tell us a little bit about yourself and just sort of how um, mm. your career, I guess, if you would just kind of dive, yeah, sure. dive back. And, and the way and the way I would cover the poker is that, you know, it's almost like um, it's almost like I've had every position at an airline, you know, and I've been the CEO and chairman of an airline, but I, I don't know how to fly a plane, but I understand everything about, you know, right. aviation and aeronautics. Um, and so when we get to, we'll, we'll talk a lot about, uh, about poker because it's, it's made up, um, a pretty important part of my, of my business life. And then it became a pretty big part of my social life, even though I, I don't play very much. Um, the people I surround myself with, a lot of them are, are very involved with poker and we'll talk about why that happened. But, awesome. um, you know, basically I'm a 55 year old, uh, born and bred in, in, uh, in Montreal, um, I went to uh, McGill University, then I went to law school at the University of Ottawa. I practiced for uh, about nine years, and my godfather, who had a, um, he still has a law firm, uh, allowed me to start a gaming practice in the early 90s, 92, 93, where we were representing uh, the casinos and collecting bad marker debt from uh, gamblers that were from Canada that had gone to Atlantic City or Vegas and had bounced their checks or, uh, you know, had used their line and then not paid the casino. And then we figured out that we could get a judgment from a Canadian judge um, <clears throat> to enforce those debts as being legal debts. You know, there was a thought before that they weren't. And so that's how I started in the gaming industry and then representing gaming equipment manufacturers like IGT and others that were selling slot machines into new casinos that were being built. So if you go back to sort of the eighties, there was only casinos in Atlantic city and Vegas. Right. And now if you look obviously today, almost every state has, you know, a casino either on a native reserve or, or in the city itself. And so as that was permeating, uh, companies like IGT and other slot manufacturers needed to find their way into the casinos, needed lawyers, needed business people. Um, and so I did uh, quite a bit of that. And um, for one thing sort of led to another. The mid-90s brought the internet. And um, one day in 1996, I was reading an article in International Gaming and Wagering Business Magazine by Roxy Roxborough, who remains a friend of mine to this day. Okay. Um, and he wrote about a sports book in Austria called Intertops. And I thought it was really interesting that, you know, this guy in Salzburg was, you know, was on the Internet and, and was offering sports betting on the Internet. And so I called him um, and I started speaking to him and telling him, you know, who I was. And um, he told me his biggest problem was transaction processing. 
getting credit card payments on the net. People were afraid to put their credit card on the net, 1996, right. 97, right? And so uh, two friends of mine owned a big ISP. There were ISPs back then. And, um, and they were interested in starting this business of processing credit card uh, transactions. So I can fast forward just for a second because that company today yeah. is worth about $13 billion. Wow. That first credit card processing was done in 1997. I don't own any shares. I sold my shares in 2006. Mm -hmm. But that company has been built and rebuilt uh, by a really good friend of mine named Joel Leonoff, who was the co-founder with me uh, back in sort of 97. And uh, he's done an amazing job. So that's how that's how I got into you know the internet side of gaming. And <clears throat> I left my law practice in 1999. I went over to be the executive vice president of that public company that was doing the transaction processing for much more than gaming, but for gaming as well. And in um, 2003, 2004, we merged with a NASDAQ company. Uh, company had a lot of cash and they helped us build our business to become a pretty big business um, in a multi-billion dollar business. And then in 2006, I got a call from Party Poker uh, or from a headhunter from Party Poker. Okay. Um, and I was offered this position to be the CEO uh, of Party Poker and to move my family to Europe and, and primarily to Gibraltar. Was it was this Party Poker or Party Gaming? Or this, this was party, party, party Gaming. So party, party Gaming. Yeah, so Party Gaming at that time, right? So 2006, Party Gaming. This is April 2006. I moved, uh, I moved to Europe. Just put the time frame in your mind. I moved to Europe in April 2006. The market cap of Party Gaming is $10 billion. Mm -hmm. EBITDA is somewhere in the area of $700 million big company, okay. um, you know, built by Ruth Parasol and her husband, Russ DeLeon and a couple of guys from India. Did you, um, did you know them that, cause when did party, like just to give a, a reference on party poker, when did that actually go turn on the lights and the first hands were dealt? So was yeah, I don't remember the first uh, year of the first hand, but the, the IPO was in 2005. Okay. And I so, ended up there in 2006 after, after the IPO. Okay. Uh, and they were massive. I mean, they, they owned, they owned online poker. You know, yep. At the time, there was like barely a poker stars. And yeah, uh, I remember, I remember being in college, and when they turned the UIEGA, UI it mm -hmm. went down. That was basically because they were publicly traded, right? And that's when yeah. stars and full tilt yeah. and these companies sort of just got a just took off because party moved out of the the yeah. area. And that's, a, and that's a huge part of my story. So you know, um, 2006, I moved down there. Really great company. Um, we've got I think 4,000 employees. Half of them are more more than half, way more than half of them are in India, in Hyderabad, India, and. Um, so four months into my tenure as CEO of the company, uh, UIGA passes and everything turns upside down. The 10 billion becomes 2 billion, you know, the 700 million of EBITDA becomes 200 million of EBITDA. Um, and big decisions have to be made. Public company, do you exit? Do you stay in? Um, you know, how enforceable do you think this U.S. law is since, since you're sitting, you know, in, in Gibraltar? Um, and we hired the best lawyers in America and, and the board came to unanimous decision um, that what we needed to do as a public company was we needed to turn off the U S uh, business. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and we did, and, uh, it's a, it's, you know, it's a move that I certainly don't regret to this day. And, um, I, I felt at the time that the U S government was taking an unreasonable position. Um, and, and I feel to, I feel today even more so, uh, that they took an unreasonable position. And, right. um, you how, know, how big, give us a little in the war room there. Give us a little insight. Was there, was it just like, obviously everyone was unanimous. Like this is the only play. Was it like, no, let's think about this. Cause obviously it's big money. You're talking about like those number mm -hmm. and drops. It's a huge deal. So was yeah, it kind of back and forth or was it just like, well, there's no option. I think there was no option. So, um, 
I guess the only option which never was put on the table would have been if someone or some group would have come forward and said, let's take the company private, mm. uh, make a tender offer to the public shareholders, take the company private and keep the US business on and run it like poker stars, like full tilt, like uh, a number of others. Yeah. Um, so, and at that time, basically what was happening, if you want to talk about the war room, um, the calls were coming to me from Gigi Levy, the CEO of 888, um, from more wiser, um, and even Teddy Segui at, uh, at Playtech. Um, what, you know, what are you doing? And, um, you know, I told them what, what I was doing and we all did the same thing on the same day. So there were no public companies that remained online taking us businesses. So, um, we were the biggest, so maybe, you know, you can say that, um, in, in some way that I led that, but it's, it's not really true. Uh, there wasn't a debate um, between 888, Playtech, uh, ourselves. Um, no, no debate was really had. The there, there's a the U.S. U.S. law enforcement is very powerful, um, and there are very few public companies that want to end up on the wrong side um, uh, of the DOJ. And right. so, so I think it was a public-private. It was it was really a public-private discussion. You know, what's the fiduciary duty here? Um, what do the lawyers tell you to do? What's your liability if you don't listen to the lawyers? Right. Um, so those are the kinds of things that public companies have to think about, and private companies can can you know can think uh, less about. So you know, I mean, I don't think less of Mark Scheinberg um, for for doing what what he did, um, and, and understanding the position that he was in at the time. Right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, because I mean, this is when you think of this, this uh, major dates in poker history, this is obviously right there with it. And then, uh, and then of course, then in the few fast forward to the April, right. right, basically, actually today, right, or the 15th uh, of uh, 2011. So nine, nine years ago, um, it, the, those are major dates because then, I mean, that ultimately did that position party poker in a better way now to come back like to the US and and, and, and sort of fast forward. So I just want to okay. hear about story really but i mean yeah, i yeah. cover that absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely i mean you know certainly party poker is seen as a really compliant company obviously they've done uh mna with b win since then a lot's changed i left in 2008 it's 2020 i've been gone for 12 years yeah. so uh for for people who are watching that have known me for all that time they'll probably scratch their heads in disbelief that we're 12 years off from um from me leaving and 14 years off from the UIGA bill in, in, in 2006 is a long, yeah. a long, long way. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty surprising that this isn't sorted out in the U S you would think by now, like you, you think, you know, you hear about California being a key state. These now you see Michigan pass Pennsylvania mm -hmm. pass. There's like, there's a handful of States. Now it looks like there's a chance that maybe it gets going, but still it just seems so slow. And, and, you know, again, the COVID-19 and this type of thing with casinos, which is something I'm really curious on your position or what you feel is going to happen, because yeah. in my mind, that's almost like maybe this could spark something or maybe get casino because casinos can't stay dormant forever. Right. I mean, these, these um, are amazing companies and so i do want to touch up met nut so we don't forget that later but we won't forget it don't worry i have a lot of, i have a lot of insight into that but it's a, yeah it's a major 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 deal um mm -hmm. but yeah so okay so now so you're at party poker things are you're in you're in this amazing company that's thriving and, and gaming's uh and this happens so then what happens for you what, what what is after you make that decision and you guys pull out um from being uh the, the yeah. u.s then what happens so um well, I kept running the company for, you know, almost another two years. Um, it was difficult, clearly. Um, you have to let a lot of people go. You have to reposition yourself um, and, uh, and and watch your liquidity dissipate. So what, you know, the magic of online poker is liquidity. Yeah. And 
um, when you lose 70% of your liquidity overnight. You know, what was great about party poker at the time, um, which I could say about poker stars uh, right after that, that time, is that the Swedes were playing with the Americans, were playing with the Japanese all times of day. You'd wake up at 3 a.m. L.A. time. You'd be playing, you know, in a room with the Finns or, or whatever. In fact, people would be waiting for the Swedes or the Swedes would be waiting for the for the Canadians. Right. There was, you know, there was a there was like a, a almost like a, a geographic shark fish tank um, or even a time of day shark fish tank. It was really complex um, and, and well understood by by a lot of players. And so all of a sudden you lose all that all that liquidity um, yeah. in in about March of 2008. Um, I met the owners of Caesars, the two founding partners of TPG and Apollo. And um, we talked, you know, I talked about moving back to North America and they talked about building a new subsidiary of, uh, of Caesars. And um, what they were, what they wanted me to build was a readiness for online poker being legalized in the United States. And we would own the, the World Series of Poker. So the subsidiary that I would own part of would buy the World Series of Poker from Caesars and Caesars would own part of it and we'd own another part of it. And in a separate subsidiary called Caesars Interactive, we would build out a digital strategy and we would build out the capacity to have um, WSOP ready for legalized U.S. online poker while we still ran the actual WSOP, which Ty Stewart runs to this day. Yep. And that sounded you know, super exciting. And to be honest, I thought I wouldn't even make any money. I was just happy to be you know, uh, at, at the top of uh, a, a subsidiary of Caesars. I had made it to Vegas. I had just done quite well financially at, uh, at, at party. I was moving back to Canada. I was able to live in Montreal and sort of commute to Vegas. And so I had everything that I, that I wanted. I was, I was dealing with the founders of TPG and Apollo, two yep. amazing, you know, financial geniuses, Mark Rowan and David Bonderman. And, um, and so I did that. And when I went to, 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 uh, WSOP to Caesars, I inherited more than two, but I inherited two, amazing guys. One's Craig Abrams and one's Ty Stewart. Um, and so Ty runs the World Series and, you know, I never pretended to run the World Series and I never jumped in front of the TV camera, you know, ahead of Ty or, or what have you. You know, he, yeah. he often pushed me out there, but, you know, Ty really has run the World Series of Poker. Uh, Jack's done a terrific job. I can name lots of people, you know, early on, Daniel Vogel. Um, Shout out to Vogel. Hope yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have a good, I have a good Vogel story too. Okay. Um, so, I have good stories about everybody. So, um, so, so I go over there in, in around the end of 2008 and we formed the subsidiary in May of 2009. This is important because in around December, 2010, I have a meeting of our management team and I remember it like it's like it was yesterday because I have still the, on a sheet of paper, a big sheet of paper, we drew a diagram and it's been framed for me as a gift when I when I left um, when I left party, and what it said on this big diagram was, and what I, what I said at the time was, I don't see any way for you guys and women to become wealthy running this subsidiary, and so unless we could think of a way that I can create wealth for you and we can create wealth for you, which was not my top priority at the time for myself, um, I would see that you guys would be searching other opportunities, and so we sat around the table. And we thought about what we could do. And we saw Zenga poker and we said, okay, this is interesting. Does it make any money? And we, at the time we couldn't figure out if it made any money. So we didn't know. Uh, we saw Farmville, we saw Zenga poker, uh, angry birds. Like that was what was happening in, in 2010. Yeah. Again, that's 10 years ago. Right. So, so we decide, okay, you know what? We own the world series of poker. Anyone who has virtual poker is got to be interested in our brand. Mm -hmm. so we, we call Zenga 
and they make us an offer that's sort of very arrogant from the Zengo guys. And, uh, and but, yeah. but they agree, but they, you know, but they agree to meet us nonetheless. So, you know, so we meet them okay. and there's nothing to be done there. And so, you know, if I, if I have only had one brainstorm in my entire life, it was, let's go see if there's anything in Israel and uh, that we could buy. And a good friend of mine, Gigi Levy, I mentioned him earlier, was the CEO of 888 at the time. He had, he asked me if I had heard of this company, Playtika, and I, I hadn't heard of them. And I forgot about it only because I got, I almost got confused. I was like, Playtech, Playtika. I didn't even, I wasn't paying attention, which I, sh- I should have been paying attention. Yeah. A month later, he calls me and he says, have you, have you contacted them? I said, no, I, I didn't contact them. Remind me again. He goes, yeah, well, they're, they're making like 7 million of EBITDA right now. And um, you should talk to them. So I fly to Israel. I meet them. I fall in love. And um, by the time we negotiate a deal to buy them, they're making 10 million of EBITDA. And they're just doing Slotomania on Facebook. There is no mobile games at the time. Okay. And we tell them, hey, listen, we'll build WSOP poker. We'll, we'll professionalize your business. We know how to professionalize companies. We know how to make you a better, bigger company. We know how to use the brands of Caesars and World Series of Poker. Um, if we want to be able to sell this business one day, we know exactly how to prepare the business to be sold and to find the buyers and to create the process or to take it public. This is what we know that you don't know. And what you know that we don't know is how to build a business. Right. And so we bought the business for in 2011 for $100 million, 10 times EBITDA. We paid for it. And, and I, I know this, I, I, this is a pretty incredible story. And I know kind of ties in around that time of Burning Man, which we have to cover as well. But <laughs> when, you, when you make this $100 million deal, how about in your head, are you just so sure that this is like a fantastic decision, like play? Or is it, is it, is it, uh, is this tough to get the companies aligned? Or were you guys just like, no, this, let's do it. This is great. Or were you like, this is a pretty big splurge? Like, I don't know. Yeah, so I went to the board of Caesars and I explained to them that we're going to spend $100 million on a business that has no real source of revenue from the perspective that the people playing the games are buying virtual coins to advance in the game or to see features that you can't see without buying the coins, but they can't win anything and they can't cash out and they can't buy anything that you could deliver to their home. Mm-hmm. And I, I made the analogy in the board meeting of Pac-Man because people were saying, well, why would anyone do this? I go, well, why did anyone play Pac-Man and then put another quarter in the machine to continue the game at the level they were on? It's entertainment. And yeah. Pac-Man became pretty successful. So the Pac-Man analogy was, was there. Also, of course, we had the Zenga and Farmville analogy as well that these guys are growing. They've got huge traffic. So the board said, yeah, go ahead, spend $100 million. Now, if you ask me, did I, did I think that it would turn into what it turned into, I could tell you definitely not. And, and I could even tell you why. So if I thought that this hundred million was going to turn into 4.4 billion, four years later, five years, four years, four and a half, five years later, I would have gone to the board of Caesars and said, Hey, you know what, by the way, we're paying a hundred million management would like to put in 5 million. Uh, we'll pay five. You pay 95. Let us own 5% of it. It'll give management a great. So, so I didn't do that. Right. right. I, I, and, I, and I could name you many times in my career that I didn't do that, that if I would have done that, um, you know, I could have billions of dollars, but to be honest, so I didn't do it. And when we, after we bought them, we bought another company called House of Fun. That company was making 8 million of EBITDA. So again, we could have gone to the Caesars board and said, hey guys, we'll put in 5 million and you put in the other, we paid 85, you put in the other 80. When you say we, you mean as in yourself yeah. and the yeah, manager? Like, like, yeah. Me, Craig, Ty, Scott Wilson, you know, right. Uh, John David Mann, Avner, sorry, a whole bunch of guys, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, who had money, 
and who were entrepreneurial, obviously not entrepreneurial enough. And so we took our stock options and we took we we took our salaries and bonuses and we had we owned equity in the in in, in Caesars Interactive. But mm-hmm. I'm, what I'm saying is we could have dipped in again and right. again each time we bought another company. Okay. And so, so anyway, so the company becomes a four and a half billion dollar company. We I'm going to jump quickly. We sell it to the Chinese in 2016 to a consortium of a company called Giant Interactive and Jack Ma's personal family office. And what I'm particularly proud of is two things. Number one, obviously buying a business for $100 million and selling it for $4.4 billion, you know, changed my life and the lives of many people. It saved Caesars from its bankruptcy uh, restructuring. And that's been written about in, in, in a lot of newspapers. And I'm quite proud of that. But I'm more proud, actually, that the guys that we bought are my best friends. I believe the company today is worth about $12 billion. So there's $8 billion on the, left on there, $7 billion left on the table by you know, a guy like me. But I, I think we did a great deal. I think we did the right deal. I think we sold at the right time for us. Um, Robert Antical, who's the founder and CEO of that business today, is doing more than $700 million of EBITDA. Oh. Okay, so Slotomania, House of Fun, uh, WSOP, they still own uh, the, the brand uh, rights for it. And so that's... That that's so each piece of that story has a poker element to it. It's either the party poker element, it's the Zenga poker element, it's the lack of legislation in the US to legalize poker that forced us to go to Israel and buy some social game to give us a business so that people could make money. And so that's why there's almost nothing you can ask me that, that you know, since since you've known me, that doesn't have some poker element in and around it, but has very little to do with me playing poker. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, I, I actually, I remember this very vividly. We, we were in Burning Man, I think it must've, was it 2016 then? Yeah. 2016. Uh, and you were there and you were basically, you know, uh, Anne Marie, you guys were there, we were hanging out wearing our silver surfer costumes, what running <laughs> around. And you were saying, man, this is a crazy sweat because you know, the, the, this deal is on the table, but there's been times, right. These kind of meg, I mean, this isn't just like a, uh, this is a, this is a big, big transaction billion dollars. No, that wasn't even the sweat. The sweat, there, there was no phones at the time at Burning Man. Right. Now, now, you, now you could use your phone at Burning Man. Yeah, exactly. That, that added <laughs> another level of it. And it's just like those kind of deals can fall through last second. Guys are on the table. People get cold feet until it's signed and the money shipped. It's like those deals fall through. There's been mega deals that don't happen in the midnight hour. So I, I remember literally you sort of like, you know, this is, it looks good. Things are ready to go, but it wasn't, wasn't a locked deal. So yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the biggest uh, in gaming in the history or at the time, was it the biggest or one of them? I mean, that's a huge deal or one of the big, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a huge deal. I mean, there, there are other deals. I mean, the, obviously the poker stars deal was a huge deal. Um, amazing deal. Um, there's a few companies that have become, you know, that have become really big, but, this was this, this was a, a big deal for Israel, the big deal for me and my management team personally. Guys' lives were changed uh, forever. Right. Uh, a bunch yeah. of guys like mentions lives are changed. You know, I get a text from Ty Stewart. I shouldn't say this, but I, I'm saying it. It's Easter yeah, Sunday. All friends, yeah. I know. So I get a text from from Ty um, every year. I mean, I speak to him more than once a year, but I get yeah. a text from Ty on Easter Sunday. So when is that? Like yesterday, two days ago? Yeah, okay. Days ago, yeah. so, so I get a, a text from him. It's a picture of his home in Oregon and a note saying you changed my life forever. I'll never be able to, you know, to not thank you. And it's not me. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a team. It's, it's a lot, yeah. you know, it's angel dust, all kinds of great things happen, but right. just to tell you nothing feels better. Almost nothing feels better than when something like that happens. Craig Abrams building a beautiful home, guys giving money to charity that they never would have thought they'd be able to afford to give to charity. Um, right. So 
that's you know they're, they're about what what what's the spinoff effect of um of what happened for sure. Well, no, I mean, it's, it is, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And to see you just sort of, you know, come from, you had, you were, I guess you were, went to law school, lawyer, and then got, I, did you always have a love of games and, and po- like, what was your experience with gaming? Why do you think you went into, headed into poker slash gaming uh, from, you, you mentioned when you first got started, but was there, when you grew up, were you into games and poker at all or anything like what? So, you know, it's funny because it, it, I, when I was 18 and a half, so that's 1982. We share the same birthday. Shout out to December 5th. Shout out to December 5th. Exactly. I give a little love there. That's yeah. So, okay. So 18 and so a half. 1982, the gambling age in New Jersey is 18. In 83, it goes to 21. Interesting. So my friend Larry Schneider and I, shout out to Larry Schneider. Larry, all right. We my father's car. We drive nine hours to Atlantic City. Wow. We get into the casino, the Playboy Casino. Shout out to Playboy. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah, that, I don't, never, I've never seen that one there. You're too young. You don't know any of this. You know, they right. had it. every casino that was there at the time, you barely ever heard of. So okay. we go to the Playboy Casino. It's on different levels. And um, in the first hour, we lose all of our money. Now, we have no money. We're 18 and a half years old. We have no money. We have, we have an SO uh, credit card, which is like Exxon here in, the, in, in Canada. I have an SO credit card. Thank God for that. Okay. We have no money. So we sleep in the car for a night that maybe we don't have no money. We have like 20 bucks. We take right, the 20 bucks. Right, we think we're going to go back. Okay. Next night comes, we sleep two nights in the car. We're at zero. We drive back nine hours on the way back from Atlantic city. We had gambled less than an hour to lose all our money. So it's a nine hour drive each way, pull up to a gas station with the SO card, fill up the tank with gas. I take off my jacket. I lock my father's keys in the trunk of the car. The, 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 I get the gas station attendant. Okay. I can't give him any money because I have no money to right. drill a hole in the trunk of the car. Of my dad. Okay. My dad's got like a brand new car, drills a hole in the, in the lock of the trunk, big hole, pops no. it open, gives me a cord to keep it closed. I get the keys out of the car, obviously. So I have, you know, I have a early experience with being attracted to gaming, but I was young, you know, my, right. my late dad, my dad uh, took his life when I was uh, two weeks away from graduating law school. My godfather and my dad used to take us to the harness racetrack and tell my stepsister, you know, who was like, let's say I was 15. She was like seven, that they were going to the zoo and they would and they would put her down by the fence. And she thought she was at the zoo, seeing the horses at the zoo, no. the track, <laughs> the track, oh, betting, the race. So, oh, yeah, so I understood gaming from a pretty young age. Wow. Well, uh, yeah, it's a, it's just, it is fascinating. I mean, again, knowing you for some time via, with Antonio, like you said, you have a lot of connections in poker, a lot of people, you know, um, yeah, fast forward a bit on So these deals get done, play tickets sold. And, and I mean, you've, I want to cover some of your other businesses and ventures you're in, but now you're the chairman of, of Cirque du Soleil. Um, tell me a little bit about the transition from, from uh, actually, well, I guess Platika, when you left, is that what you left Caesars, what, two years ago now? Or? I left in 2000. I stayed for an extra year to help them finish the parent with the restructuring. At the time, I had under me six casinos that were very healthy, uh, Planet Hollywood, Bally's, Harris. Um, and uh, then I left in 2017, mm-hmm. and I had sold all my stock, and everything was everything was good. I was super happy to leave, and left all good friends, um, really good terms. I've always left everywhere on good terms. So, um, yeah, so I left in 2017. When I, when I went to Caesars in 2008, I told uh, David Bonderman and Mark Rowan, I didn't tell them, I asked them that when I'm done here, 
my, my dream is to invest alongside you and to be involved in businesses and companies that you're involved with. And um, I think they were just being polite by saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as it turns out, that has, that has become the case. I'm a partner in so many investments with David Bonderman, including the NHL team. We'll talk about that in a minute. And with Mark Rowan, we do a lot of investments in Israel um, and just have an amazing friendship. And these are two mentors to me. I think they're you know, two of the smartest guys in, in private equity and two of the best people that I know. So that's worked out really, really well. Gary Loveman was the chairman of the company that I, at, at Caesars, and he was a fantastic chairman and a great cheerleader and sponsor of mine and Craig's and Ty's. He helped me a lot. So um, it was great. It was really, really great. And and then and so you're gonna well actually before before we I want to dip dip into a bit of the the family life you uh, Anne Marie who you know my wife and I we know very well now your your family we actually saw I, it was not long ago we were in Montreal we yeah. we had dinner it was nice to to catch up and and we've uh, Burning Man a couple of years we've gone together during our around our birthday time we've been in the same mm-hmm. camp so you know we've had some some good times and tell me a bit about family life and how you know being a businessman you're you're not just a businessman, you're CEO of major companies, you know, very, very, uh, I don't want to say strenuous, but you have very, it's at pressure situations. You know, a lot, you have two boys, um, Dylan and Ryan. How, how about the early family life with this stuff? Cause I, you know, I'm a new, new dad. There's a lot of, I'm a lot of people out there with new fathers and, and, uh, tell me a little bit about how you met Anne-Marie and then how, uh, being in business, juggling family a little bit, give me a little bit of advice. Oh. So the, so the, okay, yeah. my, my story of meeting my wife isn't as good as yours, but um, it's pretty oh, good. Oh, listen, it all, it's all energy. It's all great, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's all energy. So as yeah. I said, my father, my father died two weeks before I graduated law school. And I was in law school at the University of Ottawa. And they have a policy in Canada at, well, at the time that you had to go to bar school in the same province that you went to law school. And um, But my mom and my sister were in Montreal. My father just passed away. And um, there was no way I was going to stay in Ottawa and my family's going to be in Montreal. So I spoke to the bar association. They said, listen, there's no exceptions, except if you find someone in Montreal that wants to switch and do the bar in Ottawa, you can switch with them. So I put an ad out at the time. It was like, there's no internet. It's 1989. I put an ad out. I borrow $1,500. I offer the 1500. I find a guy right away for 1500. That's like 15,000 today, maybe more. Uh, So I find a guy who switches, switches with me. And, um, I end up the last person to be registered in the Montreal bar school class. And I sit right behind Anne Marie. Um, so total coincidence. Wow. Butterfly effect. It's crazy, right? That's like, yeah. a, like that's, that's just not going to happen. It's pretty, pretty wild. So you go, so now you meet her and by the way, I, I, I believe, I believe in uh, a lot in, uh, I don't believe in fate, but I believe a lot in uh, the movie um, uh, closing, uh, not closing Lighting doors, doors. Lighting doors with Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow. Yes, I believe in that, right? Like concept, you miss yeah. the train, you make the train, you cross the street, you don't cross the street, you turn left instead of turning right, you get lost, then you find your way back. I, so I believe in, I, I believe in that. I just don't believe that that's all preordained. So, right. um, yeah. so I end up in this in this situation, and um, Anne Marie is engaged, getting married three months from then. So that adds a layer of complexity to the story. But anyway, that's like Antonio a bit. Antonio yeah. Story. yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, but he's got, he's, he's got better moves than I. He's smooth. So, <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, we end up, we end up hooking up and, and, and obviously she breaks her engagement and 
Uh, we end up getting married about a year and a half later. We have two boys. Um, one's 20, turning 25, Dylan. Um, yep. He's got a degree from McGill University, and he just did two years in the intelligence of the Israeli army. Very proud of him. Yep. My other son, uh, Ryan, he's 19, almost 20. He's, uh, he's at second year at McGill University studying undergrad. Um, really good kid, good basketball player. Uh, opposite of me, six feet tall, uh, big wingspan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, comes from his mother's uh, his mother's wings. Very funny. So um, I I hope they've had a good life. I mean, they've been to like fifty countries. I think that's good. Um, they've lived in Europe and in Canada. Um, they have seen me be quite public. So there's a lot of things about me that are public. I'm you know I'm, I'm quite public in Canada from a from a business point of view, but also from a philanthropy and social uh, uh, standpoint and a political standpoint, I take a lot of positions here um, defending minorities. Um, I have a platform here in, in, in Canada. So, and, and all the money is public. So all the share sales are public. So all the sort of net worth stuff and um, all of that is public. And I don't know if it's negative. I mean, it's not positive, but I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's necessarily um, negative. Um, I think the only negative part about it is that everyone makes their own, their own story. And I, 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 you know, I hope that kids don't get pressured into thinking that they have to perform at a level um, that their parent performed at. They could perform at that level, but in something completely different. Right. Um, but what you can't replace is that, you know, I grew up with very little money, um, had a, you know, somewhat dysfunctional family home, even though a very loving family home. Um, and I, I needed to make money. I started delivering newspapers at 11. I owned and ran a snack bar restaurant at 14, 15, right. 16, 17, 18, every summer, uh, making money, saving money. Um, you know, I, 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 entrepreneurial spirit, and you were you were very motivated and hungry from a from a young age to to, to be successful and to to go for it, right? I mean, it sounds like yeah, you're just always you just kind of found your way to the next next thing and, and got it's just pretty it's pretty amazing you know obviously we're friends but it's also just uh as a mentor i have times or business ideas or things i get to run by you and, and i really your perspective is uh unique and you have a lot of experience i mean gaming there's really you, you've done it you've you've done a lot of different things and and now you've gone into uh yeah Cirque du Soleil other ventures outside of gaming which we're gonna we're gonna cover but i, I as, a, as a father i want to know about that too how is it like being being a CEO of these major companies and, and having a lot of pressure and just a lot of, I'm sure working long hours, a lot of time, how was that with being a father? Or is there, is there any advice you would give to someone that's working really hard, that is very passionate about their business, but also has, you know, children as at a, at a young age, is there anything that you would tell Mitch Garber's younger self, like looking back? Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, I don't think I spent too much time away from them. I really made an effort that if I had a flight on a Monday, and I can get back on Tuesday night. I did it. I didn't spend the extra night. I didn't spend the extra day. I didn't go to the useless meeting. Um, yeah. I, I mean, if I could speak to my younger self, first of all, FaceTime changes everything. It changes everything. Um, and there's kind of no excuse to not be, and, and, I, and by the way, I failed at this. So th there were days, there were times I was in Vegas for two days or three days. And I didn't, I didn't even, I spoke, I texted my kids or they texted me briefly. We didn't speak for a long time. We didn't do FaceTime. So I didn't do all this. Plus, FaceTime didn't exist at the beginning um, of my tenure in, in Vegas. But so FaceTime changes everything. You now have this opportunity and you have to seize the opportunity to speak to them face to face. A text is not a face to face conversation. Um, it's an easy way out. And it's a great accessory to a live conversation. Um, but if you let today's younger generation forget what a live conversation is, 
they'll never have one. So you'll never you see your kids super young, but um, my kids are never talking on the phone. Either it's FaceTime, let, let's say that's 10%, 10% FaceTime, 90% text, chat, Snapchat story, whatever, but 0% talking on the phone without video. That's fine. But, and even FaceTime, I think it's, it's light. So I'd like to encourage, um, I'd like to encourage more of the face to face, but I don't have any regrets about time, time spent. And I have to be perfectly honest. I've never felt a lot of business pressure. I never really, I never really, I felt it at party gaming when we turned off the U S I was incredibly stressed. I mean, I almost had a nervous breakdown during that time. That was a really stressful time. Um, and that was probably the worst time of my life, but it lasted a year. Right. Um, it lasted a year. So, and that, um, that, that, how was that, was that, completely blindsided was that you woke you woke up and saw the news or was there like uh hey this is probably gonna happen no hey woke up saw the news woke up heard the news no one thought this was gonna happen and if everyone thought we were gonna get legalized poker actually we thought we were going in the opposite direction wow so that's a just even crazier swing right because if, if it gets legalized it's even gonna be that much of a bigger bigger deal I think, what, I think what happened was we all became numb to these threats that there's gonna be a bill to make the internet to make internet gaming illegal. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it happened. Um, what, what is your, what is your thoughts on the current landscape of, um, I guess we'll got to talk COVID-19 and how that impacts sports, how that impacts, uh, you know, a lot of the things that you're doing as well. And just in general, how to, and and it impacts life and what you're seeing from Hmm. from your perspective, especially in Montreal. Uh, you said the city's doing pretty well and everyone, the government, people are sort of taking it very seriously and staying inside and doing all that, which is good. But uh, I, I'm curious what you believe. Do you think poker, do you have a guess on the U S uh, do, do you feel like it's moving the right direction? Or is it, is it pause? Like, do you, is this, I mean, you're probably surprised. It sounds like you're saying that this, it's not in the U S by now. Right. I mean, you're in Canada, Canada neighbors, U S it's like UK, these countries, gaming's allowed. There's fantasy sports, Sports passed at a federal level in the U.S. now, so state by state has sports. You know, bet gambling is is, but poker somehow, which is much more skill, as you know, than yeah, than so, still is the this kind of just left in limbo. Yeah. So now that I'm out of it, I can tell you that um, somehow I'm part of a big failure. Um, you know, and I was probably one of the most visible people who collectively failed um, to really be able to make the case that poker is a game of skill and that poker should be legalized and that poker um, and and a responsible gaming can be enforced. Um, and it's not for lack of trying, but we failed. And, you know, you have to admit when you, when, when, when you failed. So, you know, how could it be that Phil Helmuth has 14 bracelets? 15, yeah. 15, sorry. If just everyone who's playing has the same chance to win, but one guy has won 15 of them and 99% of the people who play have won none. Right. Right. Like, so making this argument and losing the argument that poker is a game of skill when 99% of the people haven't won, 99.9% of the people haven't won. Right. Yeah, and then right. the super subset of people who are, absolutely designated as professional poker players. Like people don't let them play in their game because they're professional. Right. So it's a game of chance. I want, I want you at my game. Right. So I'll, I'll take your money by chance. I'll take your money. Um, 
right? So how many games are you not allowed to play in? Jeff Gross, many, most actually. Okay. Unless they want to have a pro poker player because they like, you know, the stories, they actually don't want you there because you're a nuisance. Right. You're going to take their money. Absolutely. (laughs) So, so, you know, I've been part of this since 1997, 1996, I read the Roxy Roxborough article, 1997, 98, 99, I, came, I understood poker, you know, 2003, 4, 5, poker started, you know, uh, on the internet, the 2005 IPO, uh, 2006 UIGA. So how can I look at you right now and tell you that, you know, we're close to getting a federal online poker bill? I understand why it's sports because sports has interested parties like Adam Silver and the NBA and, and the NHL and the NFL. Um, poker doesn't have anybody meaningful, okay, like like the NFL, okay, behind it. Um, but fantasy sports absolutely has all the leagues, um, you know, backing up the truck for it because let's be honest, nobody watches the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Jets except that they either have money on the game or they have players on their fantasy team in the game. There's no other reason to watch. Or you're from Jacksonville. Or you're- Thursday night, a two and two and twelve team playing. You know, and, and there it could be. Yeah, exactly. Why are in why fantasy? Are- in fantasy, that's as good. That's as good a game as as the as the Patriots. Yeah, it might even be better because maybe there's like people aren't paying attention as much, and that's a, there's like a little there's a spot where you can you can get real value. A guy who's underrated and you know the stuff. So absolutely, no, you're right. I mean, but do you believe like Michigan just passing? That was a big deal. It's my home state. Uh, it it was supposed to pass last year in the midnight hour. The governor on the way out of office vetoed it when it was like a sure deal. One of my best friends is a top lobbyist there and said that was like one of the craziest beats, but then they got it back this year. West Virginia passed Pennsylvania, pretty major player. I mean, what does it take? What do you see? Do you think it's like, is it, I mean, New York is, it seems like, I hope, I hope, I'll tell you what I think it takes. I don't think I know it takes, it takes, it takes shared liquidity. So all these States passing poker to me, it's not that relevant. So if Virginia has poker, that's not a that's not a big business. A big business is that all Virginians can play with all Hawaiians and all New Yorkers and all Texans and all days and all hours of the night, and you have super liquidity in a huge country. That and then and then start talking about liquidity with the Swedes and liquidity with the Brits and liquidity yeah. with the Canadians. So yeah. you're so far away from that. And like I said, I'm part of the failure of that to happen because it should have happened. Well, a lot of successes, I guess, if you could say that, yeah, something didn't go through. It can't all just fall all in a row at all times. But is, is there anything you would have done? You said it's not for lack of trying. Is there anything looking back? Do you think there was a way at that time? Because, you know, maybe now it's still it's not like it's not going to ha- it can't happen. But is there something you could have done differently or like looking now easily to look back, say, oh, this would have probably worked? Or was it was it a matter of the people in office or the, the Supreme Court or whoever? Was, was it just like not going to work or was there a way to do something more? So from this okay, now, no, so now we're going to get into something, something, you know, controversial. And I. OK, well, I don't. It's OK, I don't feel great. I don't feel great saying it because I'm a Canadian. But at the same time, I've been working in America for a lot of my life. So yeah. um, our political system in Canada is not perfect. Okay, so I'm not preaching like, oh, we have a perfect system and you don't. But there's something incredibly fucked up about your system where you're able to donate an unlimited amount of money for unlimited access. I mean, if there's one corrupt part of the American system, it's that you're able to give the presidential candidate or the senatorial candidate or the party a hundred million dollars and have dinner at the White House every Friday and whisper in the ear 
of the lawmakers. So it wasn't a question of is poker a game of skill or not? It's a question of who has more influence, Sheldon Adelson or Mitch Garber? Sheldon Adelson. I have right. no influence, you know. So, right. so, so, and that's not making excuses. I'm just telling you that you can, in the United States, buy regulation, deregulation, stalling, speeding up of things that are of interest to you. And that's been clearly shown by these super PACs. And if, you know, if, if I had one suggestion as to how to make the U.S. system better, it would be to eliminate the super PACs, you know, whether it's the sugar lobby or the tobacco lobby, you know, or we could argue about the gun lobby if we want, or it's the don't let online poker become legalized because I don't believe in it. And I own this land-based casino in Las Vegas on the strip that makes an unbelievable amount of money. Um, you know, I actually, I think that it's almost like we're playing basketball five on two. Right. Uh, how are you going to win? Right. Yeah, NHL, you got a double power play. It's like, you're just, <laughs> you're just going to get peppered the whole time. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I do. I want to talk about the NHL and, and that as well, but let's talk about COVID-19 and gaming in particular and casinos. Cause you know, it's like that movie contagion, you know, you said about the, the casino and it's, it's kind of obvious too, just in general, right. Casinos, not you touching chips. It's a closed area. Casinos are impacted just like many industries, but, but dramatically and maybe more so, you know, I don't think they're just going to open the doors at casinos, you know, kind of, it'll be one of the things that probably gets the latest to reopen. What are casinos going to do? You see GVC uh, who owns the parent company of party poker, as well as I think B win or, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, their major company, one of the big players are stock. And I'm sure the other stock they dipped in, incredibly low. Like the big drops was, there's no sports sports betting is, is huge. What is going to happen with casinos is there is there a chance that they try to get online are they are they i mean are they just going to sit back like do you think this could actually spar some sort of uh something in the industry with that or no is it just going to be like yeah, what so that? i want to measure my words because there there are a lot of people uh that will watch this podcast that are not at all related to uh to poker yeah um and so i'm going to give you sort of um my overall view and my overall view comes from um almost nothing to do with my opinion. It has to do with me consulting with policymakers, government officials, deans of medical school, immunologists. So I've been doing that um, in helping the Quebec government on how we're going to get our economy back. So talking similarly to the US, it's a timing issue. Um, so, and, I'm, and I'm also looking at it from the perspective of being the chairman of Cirque du Soleil. So I'll start with the Cirque du Soleil and I'll work backwards. Yes. So this, the Cirque du Soleil, sadly, and this is very sad, we laid off 4,500 workers. Of those workers, most of them are performers that don't have a meaningful um, bank account balance and don't have many other ways to make a living. These are acrobats, former Olympians, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Our payroll was about $280 million a year. Big business. Okay. And our business went to, our business went to zero. And if I think about all the models about how the economy is going to come back, the very last thing that's going to come back is a uh, large gathering of people in a small space to watch a live event for two hours. So that business is the last business to come online, maybe only um, accompanied by the cruise line business. Yeah. Okay? Um, and the rest of the businesses, I'll get to the casino in a second. So the Cirque du Soleil does not have a TV contract. So the NFL can play its games with 3000 fans all spread out if they want they have a great TV contract. Fantasy will go on as usual. Players can get tested on a Friday. If they pass the test, they play on Sunday. The refs are tested. There's a minimal number of people 
inside the place. Everyone's been tested. That you can do. It's a TV game. It's a TV contract business. LiveGate, it's, it's worth something. Um, merchandise, of course, is worth something. But it's really all made on the TV. A lot of it's made on the TV contract. Yeah. The NBA, the NHL, the NFL, you saw that the WWE is going to be fighting from inside the studio. I think it's in Miami. Um, I think the UFC is going to do the same thing um, at Dana's place in, uh, in in Vegas. So that makes a lot of sense. You you test you test negative or positive, both of you, uh, and you can fight. And there's one, there's a ref and there's a few cameramen, and that's kind of easy to do, right? Um, now let's get to the casinos. Yeah, I don't know how to deal with the chips. Okay, so I'll get to that in a second. I, I don't know. Um, I have an idea uh, that 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 could be worked out. That each player is playing with you know, one denomination and it's a color. And the only person who touches that, that, that color chip is the person who's you're purple. You just have, you just have more purples or less purples. You never touch the yellows, yellow guy, you're yellow, you, you're red. Okay. Um, blackjack table, two players, maximum, you're six feet apart. Vegas can make money with two people at a blackjack table, craps, four people around the table. You can make money with that. Elevator, on, yeah. People in an elevator, no problem. Restaurant, every second table free, six feet apart. Okay. You can make money there. And so the casino can open. The sports book can open. The games can be played. So I started with the worst scenario, which is the one that I'm involved in. Yeah. Um, you know, how many city laid off 4,500 employees? How many, how many, you said the total 280 million, what, what, how many total employees are there? Or, or did those let, are the- let, there, so I think we laid off 4,700 out of 5,000. Okay. I got the exact number. Yeah. There were 5,000. It's a lot. Left. Okay. Okay. Wow. So the business, the business is shut down. Um, the business is shut down. Uh, can can I see a scenario where um, we sell every third seat at O and everyone's three seats apart? And can we break even for some period of time? And these are all things we we'll have to think about. But there is a, there is a, there is a um, there is a a thinking pattern that we're not going to see live events with fans until mid twenty twenty one. Because if there's no vaccine, then there's nothing different in three months from now than today. I sit next to Jeff Gross at a Springsteen concert. He's asymptomatic. I go to my mom's house for dinner, okay, and I've given her COVID. That's the same as right now. We may as well go now, right? There's no, there's yeah. no, there's no point being home now if right. we're going to not do that in two, three months from now. Right. So, Other than maybe, the, like you said, the testing, knowing about if you can have it or not, but or the vaccine, the vaccines take vaccines, even if they have it and they think it's right, it still takes like a year. Like you said, I mean, it's not it takes a while to you can't just like put a vaccine out next week. Right. I mean, there's, uh, testing, there's a it's like 18, 18 months away. So yeah. we're working on a program here in Quebec where I think slowly, slowly we'll get back to the economy, start with the factories. If a factory has four sh- two shifts, maybe it'll have four shifts now. So instead of 100 people on the floor twice, you'll have 50 people on the floor four times, and they'll be spaced out. And instead of a fire marshal, the fire marshal will now also be the uh, social distancing uh, marshal to make sure that everyone's washing their hands and staying six feet apart. And if they're, if they're supposed to wear a mask, they're wearing a mask. Right. Um, and this is all very doable, uh, that the, the, the bus and subway will be one-third full, or two thirds empty, uh, and that's when the doors will close. So there's a lot that goes into uh, no carpooling of more than two people. Uh, the carpools, front seat, back seat. I, I can think of a million things that we're talking about. Yeah, and that, and that stuff would help. But I, even like in the scenario where the restaurants are this and or the, it's still complicated, right? Because then you're relying on people to still 
do things the right way. You know, it's like kind of just like blanket statement. Everyone, no one go outside, no one go to the beach because if you say, Oh, go to the beach and stay apart, you know, it's just like it, it, it allows error, right? Humans, uh, it allows people. So it's complicated even then. So to your point, it's, there's no foreseeable immediate. This isn't going to happen next week or in two weeks. So no. it's, there's a, there's, 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 there's a protocol. There's a, there's a possibility. Things are, you know, hopefully, going to expedite but it's still it's not it, these are major there's gonna be major disruption in these industries for some for some time but at the same yeah and there will be and i think that there's there's something to be said for self-policing um people no longer light up a cigarette in a restaurant because there's kind of self-policing people all walk their dogs on leashes because they're self-policing you have the odd person who you know you know, it's like an anarchist and I'll, I'll smoke where I want it's constitution, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe in the law. Okay. So fine. Most people will always exist, but um, no. So I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be disrupted for a while now. You know, I'm in this fortunate, never mind, never mind in, in, in uh, financially speaking, you know, you, you and I can fool ourselves into thinking that it's a digital economy and we can work with our computers and our phones, but you know, North America is driven by the person in a factory manufacturing something. It's not driven by Mitch and Jeff on their computers making day trades and, uh, you know, and playing online poker uh, and, and selling things on eBay. Like a few people do that, right? Like there's like some percentage of the population that could actually make their living just right. using the computer. Then there's a percentage that can stay home and do their work. So accountants, lawyers, there are people, but the dentist can't, the factory worker can't. Restaurant owner. Worker can't. Yeah. You know, so... Most people, the bus driver can't, the taxi driver can't, the Uber driver can't. So the restaurant owner can't, the hairdresser can't, the dry cleaner can't. All these people need to be out, right? Yeah. Um, now, most of these people have not made a dollar in the last 90 days or in the last 60 days. Right. Um, and so with all this relief packages, where the money is, where's the money going? Is my dry cleaner going to get enough money and enough relief from their landlord um, and enough help from the government and the banks to make up for 90 days of lost revenue? Like 90 days for a dry cleaner, it's everything. 90 days for a hairdresser, it's everything. And you start you start getting statistics about people that live paycheck to paycheck or have $400 or these type of things and you start that's that's where like you're saying it's a it's it can it can crumble or it can really just disrupt everything. Places close and then right even when it's time to go back and it's like okay, now you can wear a mask or now let's go outside and there's a lot of changes. There's going to be a lot of uh backup, you know, even dentists, doctors, things are there's going to be a lot of uh it's it's just things you're not maybe thinking about why, how it really impacts stuff. So what what do you what do you think and, and let's just talk about the sports example and your minority owner of the NHL yeah. uh team. So what when when do you believe yeah, there. Look at that. Look at that. That's right. Not a logo. That's, that's not the same logo. That's that just, is. That's a generic. I like it. I like it. So what? What? What's happening with that? Like, when do you think there will actually be sports games played? Like, you're saying this example. You don't need fans. Like, is the NBA playoffs going to happen? Uh, is that? Are they going to? Is the NHL like when? When do these major sports like turn back on where there's competition? Yeah. So, I think one of the things I don't like is that. Um, watching so much television now, um, it seems that everyone thinks they need to know the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one likes to say, I don't know. So if you told me, listen, Mitch, um, the, the, you know, the Lakers are playing the Clippers on Saturday and on Friday, all the players could take a two minute test and the referees and the scorekeepers and the announcers um, and a few maintenance crew uh, and the trainers, et cetera. So 150 people, 
let's just call it that for argument's sake. And then a thousand fans. So there's somebody in there witnessing the game, right? right. Um, so you test a thousand people and you can do that in an hour. Then I would say to you, Hey, why not? Let's put the game on TV. Let Mickelson play, play tiger. That's great. You know, if, 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 if you don't have fans and you know, Mickelson tiger, their caddies and the camera people can get tested, then we could start to be entertained by sports. So I think it's possible if all that testing is possible. And I think the leagues and the fans would want it. I mean, we're sitting at home, man, if you could watch Mickelson and tiger play skins right now, I think they have, you know, I think they'd have a half a billion viewers of this thing because right. nothing to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I think that, that from that perspective, I think that you could see it. I just don't know NBA playoffs, NHL, you know, I don't want to be the one that says, I think they're going to write off the season. I think it's become a bit trivial. You know, there's so many thousands of people dying that let's not be, let's not be idiotic about it. So I need my sport. You don't need your sport. You know what you need is, you know, you need your food. Almost from that, from that thinking, not about necessarily even the uh, sports or how it's going to happen or will it happen. What happens to, and you see players and teams doing, you know, giving donation. Cause like, the other part you're not even thinking about is uh, these are businesses in themselves, the arenas, they have employees, workers. So what's happening? I mean, every, every sports franchise and, and different, different things are doing things differently or in a different way, but what happens in with the people that are in the organization that are working uh, for, let's just take, I don't know, in the NHL and Seattle, like, is there, what happens to the uh, overall business or the, or the, within the, the workers and the employees? Yeah, so- so, so Seattle and the Cirque du Soleil are completely different. So Seattle was meant to be a cost center until, uh, well, we have revenue because we're selling tickets and skyboxes and sponsorship. And so money is starting to come in, but it's meant to be, you know, it's almost a $2 billion cost center building an arena in uh, Seattle, building a practice facility just outside of the central Seattle, building an arena in Palm Springs for the AHL team. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, hiring people to be able to build up the franchise, the general manager, the statistics people, all the analytics, et cetera, the marketing, the sales. So we're, we're supposed to be spending the money we're spending right now and hiring the people we're hiring right now. We don't have games anyway. We wouldn't be having games until uh, October of 2021. So, and the Cirque du Soleil, um, I don't know if there's no live gathering of, you know, of, of people for entertainment. Right. Carrying it is really, really hard. Of course, the Cirque will come back. The question is when um, it is not easy to shut a business to zero for a long period of time. You could do it for a month, right. for a month and a half for two months. And so there's, you know, there, there are people, most of them on unemployment. Um, there are, there are, there are people in, in bad shape. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yes. Uh, and, and then, and, and if you were to, just looking back on the casino business type stuff too, with the sports and stuff going that, that Avenue, do you feel that um, like same kind of thing with the, the Vegas casinos, you said you gave some suggestions or ways that the casinos could technically turn back on, but do you feel that maybe they might make a play to partner a line or do something with online or is it just too complicated anyway? Because even if they wanted to all say, let's do this or let's, let's get into an online uh, venue or, or poker site, or it's just still, there's, there, it's not just like, okay, like there's still laws. There's a, pr- there's a process, there's a procedure. You can't just say like, all right, this is happening. Let's do this. Yeah. yeah. You think, of course, you, listen, you think MGM and, or Caesars wouldn't love tomorrow to just turn on a platform and take all the American poker um, liquidity. 
So of course they, you know, they, they can't do it. I think the the land-based casinos that didn't buy into um, online businesses are probably regretting it today. I mean, a a big land-based gaming company should own a online business that makes a hundred million of EBITDA. They, they they all should. There were enough companies out there, um, you know, to figure out a way to own one. Um, Right. Is, is this something where do you think Sheldon Adelson, who's the biggest, basically the reason, I mean, he gets credit for the reason why online poker isn't there. He's in, you know, like you mentioned some of these dinners and donations and with Trump, he's aligned with him and all these different things. Like, is this something where do you think he's at this moment? He's like, wow, this like, I, does it, does it even shift or change him? Or is he just like so set in his ways or it's just like, whatever, like he doesn't even, he doesn't even care. Yeah. You think he's but like, I, I, I've been away from it for a while now and I, and I don't, I don't speak to him, but, um, I, I've never heard him say anything positive about, you know, the internet or, um, you know, or on or online games. And, um, you know, so look, I, I never worked for him and I'm sure he wouldn't have agreed to buy Playtika. So I'm happy that I didn't work for him at the time. Right. Right. That's just not in his, you know, and it's hard, for, hard for me to criticize his success. Of course, you know, he ran Comdex, he owned the Las Vegas convention center. He built the Venetian. Um, he's the biggest donor, uh, to the state of Israel. So there are a lot of things about him that I actually, you know, that I actually like, um, this, right. is, this is not one of them for sure. Okay. Well that's, uh, and, and just to, to kind of hit right in down the center of what you are familiar with, with poker, the WSOP, what is going to, what's the, what's the, the happening with that? I mean, this is uh this is something that's unprecedented. It's, it's also relevant in, in poker with, uh, this type of world series of poker, the history, you know, it's right. never disruption what what happens this summer what is the most likely scenario do you think is it do you think it would get if you were there what would be your sort of uh, plan of attack or, or sort of uh, way of handling this do you think it's a postponement cancellation try to move it online what, what do you think you might be able to move some qualifying online um but or some contests online i think i don't want to speak for ty i mean i, I you know ty ty's Ty's probably working on this 24 seven, but I think that Ty has no choice, but to follow what the Rio and the other Vegas strip hotels do. So if they say two at a poker table, well, I don't know how you manage the main event, but he might be able to figure it out. Um, uh, Maybe the game has to speed up. I don't know. I'm just making this up, but I mean, certainly, you know, you have, you know, you have all these people at nine at a table and all of a sudden it has to be two. Um, and you don't have five times as many tables. So is there another place where you could put five times more tables and and people are playing at one hotel, one hotel, one hotel, and then consult? I don't know. I think you have to think about all these ideas because come, you know, come September, October, November, there's probably a way for people who are six feet apart to be playing. Vegas casinos will be open way before then. So what's the rule going to be? on how far away you have to be and how many people can sit at a poker table. It's quite, you know, I mean, that part's easy making the rule it's, or do you limit the number of people in the main event so that, sorry, you know, we're not going to be able to have 10,000 people in the main event. Right. But do you, do you see it? Do you see putting the world series of poker online on what partnering with uh, one of the major sites? There's, there's only a handful, like two, really three probably options. Um, is that something do you see that? Would that take away the authenticity of the world? No, it might. It might take away the legality. Where are you guys all going to be playing from? So well, you're in, you're in Miami, so you can't be playing from there. 
So well, I, I'm set up outside of the U.S. Like I could get to somewhere and do it. Like just like I stream when I go on Twitch. You know, I I could you could do it. But yeah, it's not if if it's if it's you're talking about the coronavirus. How are you exactly? How are you telling everyone in the U.S. that we're like that's a lot of the customers are U.S. based. You're gonna make say, hey, well, you have to go get set up on this site outside, yeah. and, which I am, but 98, 9% aren't. And it's not, even you have to get a bank account. You have to have an address outside of the U.S. And even then, you know, we're, you're promoting people to travel or you got to leave when really you're not supposed to. So it's like, yeah, can you really have it online? And just, it just seems. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in it. And, and there's so many legal questions to be, to yeah. be had. And then, and then what do you end up with the best online poker player? And that, and, and, or, and, and not to mention, you know, then you're opening the door on collusion, all these other things for this. So if they have, you have a 10 K main event, you're going to have the winner. And it's like, you know, you got, you got a guy playing from his underwear and somewhere and you don't even know. And it's like, it's like, it's one thing if everyone's streaming or you're on video and it's Twitch or whatever, but 99.9% of people are just not. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It seems like it's not the worst option, but it does seem to open up a ton of, uh, Okay, so here's the, so here's the good thing about the World Series. It really doesn't matter what month it's played in, yeah. As long as there's not another tournament that's you know nearly as important being played at the same time. And so let's imagine for a minute that there's going to be uh, collaboration between everybody. So you know if the event in the Bahamas is taking place at X date, then of course the World Series won't take place at that same date. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm making all this up, but it, it seems after 20 years of being in this, I, it seems pretty obvious that that's those are the kinds of thinking. Yeah. The schedules are sort of set. The the times people there's a little overlap, and now there's so poker's actually. I mean, before this, it's gotten so popular. The live numbers seem to be thriving everywhere, right? So it's pretty. But yeah, you know, you know, at this time of year, this month, this venue, this company's doing this, and you, you try not to like you know attack each other. You try to give a little bit of space. But yeah, that 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 to me seems like a pretty good option to fi- move it to December, January, or some other time. Or not, you know, yeah, it, like you said, it's not set in stone. It's like the Olympics too. Olympics, obviously. Uh, I think they, what they, they ended up deciding to move it a year, just sc- scoot it back a year. I think, I think they're going to now cancel the 2021 as well. They may just miss it completely. I don't know. And then Tokyo gets the Olympics whenever the Olympics are played. And, and, and yeah, that's, that's obviously quite sad. Have you had, uh, have you had Ty? I know you've had over 50 guests, but have you had Ty on your podcast? Not yet. No, I would love to have Ty or, you know, and or Jack coming up here. I mean, I, I think, yeah, it's one of those times where it's super relevant. It's very stressful, I'm sure. And I don't know, you know, they, like you said, Trey's working on it day in, day out, and they're, they're going over all the scenarios. But, yeah, it would be great to have Ty on, too. Yeah. Kind of they have a great team over there. You know, Gregory, Shoshon, Bill Rennie, you know all these guys. These guys are all really, really good. Yeah, they're sharp. They're sharp for sure. So, um, all right. Well, Mitch, I, I, we have a ton of questions. It's actually, it's really cool to see how many people dove in on questions. I just want to maybe before we d- we dive into the questions, give us a little more, um, just tell talk cause you do a lot of different business, uh, investments and different things. Maybe just tell us round out sort of your portfolio and, and with, the. Uh, the Cirque du Soleil, you we mentioned your former CEO of Party Gaming, your minority owner in Seattle. And I'm looking here on your Instagram and you also have some looks like investments. I've seen you've been pro, um, involved with the Landvin uh, and some of these other stuff. Any, any other? I, you see, I shave, I shave my head like George St. Pierre. He's a friend of mine who I yeah. admire greatly. So I'm trying to do his work every day. He puts another exercise on, on Instagram. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I see. Uh, I, I, no, d- listen, I'm, I'm following along. I'm definitely, I know what's going on, Mitch. You see I that? Can- I own a piece of that. See that? You see that, uh, that poker face? You see Dylan over there on the top right? See this? Yes. Yeah. So I own a piece of that company, has almost a half a million daily users. That's a pretty good company. So you're streaming, streaming for fun poker. 
Um, the streaming works amazing. So it's, it's kind of like FaceTime poker and that's a private table. That's me, my son, uh, and two of his friends, um, in that picture. Very um, nice. so this company's taken off like zoom. It's the zoom of poker. So yeah, I know. I actually, you know, I, I'm face is what it's called. Very, that's very cool. I haven't seen this exactly, but I, I did see you promote. I didn't know. I've never seen anyone use it. I know zoom people are playing on these private apps and doing yeah. zoom, so it's essentially, real money. you're saving. Oh yeah, but you're. I mean, you could do. You could or couldn't technically here. Same way, like guys aren't playing on. They're not depositing. No, they're. If someone's playing a home game and they're working it out, but technically, this is this is just saving you having everyone to call Zoom. It's built in. That that's it's built into this platform. You know, look at his hand. That's uh, who won? Who won this pot? You were out. That's uh, yeah. It's a pretty. It's a. It's interesting board there. Not. I mean, that's a great idea. That's fun. That's uh, how long has that been going? How long have you had that? Going for about a year, but when I invested in it. I did it because um, I met the guy who founded it. My friend was investing in it. He goes, we need to have you part of the ownership group. I go, uh, let me bring Dylan and, and meet the guy together because Dylan loves poker and I don't play much poker. So we met him in a hotel lobby in, uh, in Israel and Dylan loved it. So I said, okay, we'll make an investment in it. And this is like, you need luck. So I don't want to make money off of COVID. But the point of the matter is that yeah. this, this was going to be a reasonably successful app. It wasn't going to have a half a million DAU. It was, I mean, it might maybe, but in years to come. And all of a sudden, everyone's stuck at home 24 hours a day. Um, and you can play poker and actually talk to each other in a really good user interface. Wow. Okay. So that's, yeah, no, I mean, exactly like you're saying, it's those type of things. It's also, so many of these events are unforeseeable. What happened to you, uh, Uega? That that was you wake up. It's like you know that's that's not supposed to happen, or you're that's not on the radar. And then you know you, this thing as well. It's this this COVID kind of like this is a once in a lifetime event. Hopefully for us that we don't have to experience something like this again and everyone gets through it. But these are these are things you can't really plan for. It sort of goes along. It's not about what happens, how you react to what happens. And luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? You gotta Absolutely. you gotta have stuff ready and you gotta be aware and, and alert and, and do your best when these type of situations. Um, arise so yeah is there so other other so that's another one another project is there anything yeah, else? So basically so 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 look what i do today is yeah. i have um three pockets of uh of investment the fourth pocket is philanthropy so in the in the biggest pocket um the money is managed for me um but a lot of it is with apollo and tpg um either as a co-investor or as an actual limited partner investor. Um, and then I have uh, the bucket, which is real co-investing, which means Apollo is going to buy Rackspace, big company. Um, I'm going to co-invest, sit on the board and help the CEO and the management team grow the business and, and uh, for an eventual exit by Apollo. And so I have a, a, quite a few of those. The Cirque du Soleil is one. I make an investment. I become the chairman of the company. I make an investment in Rackspace alongside Apollo. I get on the board of the company. We just bought Shutterfly you know, big photo album, um, photo storage company, sit on the board of that, invest in the company. Um, and so, and Lanvin, which is a fashion, big fashion house in, in France. Um, there's a, a fashion group called the Faux Sun Fashion Group. It's a Chinese holding company that owns four fashion companies, uh, Lanvin, Wolford, Women's Hosiery Company, um, St. John Knits, and a men's suit maker in Italy. Um, invest in the company, sit on the board uh, of, of the parent company. So I really enjoy doing that. Then I have an account that I play with and, you know, I invest in Canadian stocks and I sort of watch them. Now it's become slightly more active because this is a bit of a shit show. Um, 
as, as, as one might say. And, right. um, and then philanthropy is the other side, actually all the money I make in that trading account, I, I give to charity. So I usually try to give away, you know, a few million dollars a year and that's worked out quite well. So that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I know you're, you definitely have, uh, your plate full. You've you got a lot of cool projects and it's very diverse. And now it seems like, you know, with these different clothing, you got different, different sports stuff, you've done gaming stuff. So it's, it's fun. It seems like you, it's I, things- love, I, I only do it if I like it and like the people. So that's where I got lucky. You know, I'm 55. I no longer want to run a big company. So I don't want to be the CEO of a big company anymore. Um, and if the company that I'm invested in has a good CEO, wow, that's like the greatest thing ever. You know, it's right. like, for me, it's like having, you know, having you and Antonio play poker for me. Perfect. Go ahead. Well, we, we, missed the, we missed the email on poker face, you know, and we're sp- sponsored by party poker, but Mitch, any poker, you know, I want to let, let us know. That's I, I will download that. Maybe we could play uh, with Antonio. We could get a little fun. Before you go to the questions, I want to talk one second about the poker community because yeah. um, so kind of no one's ever asked me this and, um, I see a lot of the questions are about like, what's my favorite poker game. And, um, and so I don't, I don't misrepresent myself. I don't play a lot of poker. Uh, I play tournament poker almost always for charity. Um, I like tournament poker better than cash game poker. Most of the people that I know that play poker are pros. So I definitely don't want to play with them. Um, but what I figured out really early on when, you know, when I was the CEO of, of Caesars is that the poker players that I met, were the smartest, sharpest people that I knew. The way they think about things, the way they pivot, the way uh, the way they analyze things, the way they care about news, data, analytics, um, the social consciousness. So all of a sudden, I find myself, you know, with you, Antonio, Phil Locke, um, uh, Rast. Um, um, I, I mean, I, I, the list goes on. And, and even my one of my great stories about the poker community is that Guy La Liberté was always inviting me to Burning Man. And I never went with him. And Guy's one of my best friends, obviously. You and I hang out with him in, in Burning Man. Uh, but the poker group invited me. And I was like, I was like, wow, the poker guys invited me to their camp at Burning Man. Antonio Svendiari, obviously. And I went twice in their camp. And I remember the second year that I went, um, I was sitting alone at a picnic table in our camp. And for people who don't know Burning Man, it's just this massive space in the desert where, um, you know, there's nothing other than uh, how many people are there? 75,000 people yeah. uh, on, on bicycles in the sand. 130. That was where you, with Dan Coleman. That's where you got to, he was there. So I'm sitting with, so I'm sitting at the, at this picnic table, just me and Dan Coleman. And I think he doesn't know who I am and I'm pretty sure it's him. And so we start talking and I really, really like this guy a lot. Great and guy. the conversation that we had was, you know, you really, um, in the eyes of the World Series of poker after you won, you, you really acted in a way that we consider to be unacceptable. And we actually thought you were a real asshole because we put on this big tournament and we put a lot of money into it and a lot of effort into it. And we like to pamper and back all the players that play in the tournament and treat the winners like gold. And you yeah, have the right. He won fourteen million or, or more. It was a, he won the one million dollar one drop that twenty fourteen, yeah. I believe, or sixteen. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. So and 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 I, he and I invented that tournament, the one million dollar one drop, amazing tournament. It's for charity, yeah. million dollar buy in. I mean, you know the you know the score. So I said, you know, you won the biggest tournament for charity, and he and we talked and we talked and we talked, and I hope he would say this, but we really became friends. We hung out. I really like the guy. I think the guy is a great guy. And yep. this goes to show you, 
you know, I absolutely judged him by that action. That was the only thing I knew about him. I didn't know who he was. He won yeah. the tournament. He won a ton of money. Um, and he kind of just walked out and didn't let himself be interviewed and didn't really care. And right. and I meet him and I say, this guy is what a deep thinker this guy is. What a good guy he is. Yeah. He's a and very I, good friend of mine, and he is a he is a great guy. And that's that's awesome. To you got to you got to you got to get to kind of like you're saying, you get to relate, talk to people, and and see, and get to get to know someone better in that spot. So, and did you? Is that something that? But looking back just in that example, because, you know, it is for a great cause. It, what, what was your sort of takeaway or what sort of his stance or just in general, just kind of getting to know him better on just like how he approaches life and things? Or I think I think that in the poker community, you have a lot of anti-establishment people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there's there's a there's a there's a group. They're not together, but there's a group, you know. Um, oh, I, I didn't mention Liv Boree. I love her. So I got to meet her at, at Burning Man as well. And she's a bit anti-establishment. You know, she's like this deep thinking astrophysicist. She, she acts and thinks a bit differently, uh, which is what I like about her and what she probably, you know, thinks of herself. Um, so it's hard to predict. It's kind of, you don't know what you're getting. The, 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 you didn't invite the person. They came to play. Right. There's no obligation. He bought in a million. I, I don't remember who backed him, but he, he, he was bought in for a million. Right. Uh, and, and he won and he deserved to win. He's a great poker player. Yes. Um, so I'm going to bet you, why don't you ask him this I, and maybe you'll have him on. Yeah, he's a few, yeah, he's coming on. Okay, so ask him if, to, if tomorrow you won a, a one drop again and uh, Mitch Garber was there and he put his arm around you and said, Hey, listen, we really need you to come do an interview and maybe even wear the one drop hat. It's for charity. Would you do it? I'm going to bet you that he says yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he did. Listen, Dan, again, he is, uh, he's a super, he's a very unique person. He's very, very, I mean, one of the biggest hearts I know, very generous, very kind guy. So yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, uh, he's super Jack too. Yeah. He's a, he works out and he's, he's got a, you know, he's a Brazilian girlfriend as well. It's uh, my wife and his, his wife are friends. He's, he's, he's a great guy. We'll have him on. We'll, we will ask him that. And actually just to touch on that one drop, with such, over five million raised for charity, I know in the 2012 uh, every year I think 111 thousand or so you know a big portion for each buy-in or it was a one million plus um, or, or 100 11, 11, yeah 11 yes so a, a huge amount raised and I, I remember in 2012 when Antonio won Phil Locke myself and Antonio courtesy of Antonio, well, courtesy of one drop and Antonio wouldn't sent down El Salvador and Honduras to get to see it in action. And that was pretty, I mean, it was a very powerful trip going to see the, where the money's being used, how it's getting done. The families that don't have water, you know, literally don't have running drinking water and, and what this was able to do in these uh, extremely impoverished areas. So, I mean, I, I, I got to see firsthand on these trip uh, what was going on. And, and that's, I mean, it is, an, it's an amazing charity. It's an amazing cause and that, you know, that you and Guy and, and, and got to, got to put forward and, and keep doing, you know, even a little one for one drop uh, they do it, you know, each year there's, there's a uh, several tournaments, poker events that, that go towards this cause. So it's great to see it still going. Hey, hey, what, so you bring up the Antonio um, uh, one drop, right? Yeah. How much did he win? 18 million? I don't remember. Yeah, and change. So, so he texts me like three days before the tournament. He goes, you're going to be there, right? I go, yeah, yeah of course I'm going to be there. Um, uh, I have to be there. I'm going to be there with, with Guy. He goes, because I'm shipping it. So just make sure you're there so that you're part of the after party when I ship it. Yeah. And I, and, and I you know, of course, I, of course, I don't take that seriously, but he ends up ends up shipping it, and it ends up being 
one of the really good party nights that I've ever had. You have Antonio, his dad was so ecstatic and so proud. Um, uh, we got the table next to him for Tricket and his whole gang. Duhamel yeah. was there. Um, all the poker community came out to celebrate this big victory. Um, it was pretty amazing. Uh, right, right. Yeah, my, my dad was there as well, partying, and he never goes out and drink. It, it was it was one of those ones you just don't forget. Those are those those kind of moments that are also not talking about celebrations. Your your fiftieth birthday. We we do uh, as I mentioned earlier. We share a birthday. You had a, a, a quite a bash to say the least. We don't no, I need to go into details, but it was it was a, it was a uniquely special event. I appreciate you letting me uh, piggyback on there and bring. Some- oh, it was awesome. We had uh, Bill Perkins came, Antonio came, Bagel came. Uh, you were there. Uh, Alps came. Some other guys. Uh, Begley. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Uh, it was very special. Montreal is. I mean, let's just talk about Montreal for a second too. What an amazing city! Like how? How did I? You got to live in Montreal while you were going back and forth to Vegas. I mean, it's crazy because it's literally my favorite city. It's actually if that's where I think I would like to live at some point or, or commute. It's obviously cold uh, during the winter, but you know, so what it's uh, it's really a special yeah. place. So how, how did you do that? Where you were commuting, you go once a week, twice a week. Uh, so after party, I bought a plane. So I had a, I had my own plane. So I was able to kind of really do it in a convenient way. Um, and I would spend, um, you know, two or three days there. Then I'd come back. I wouldn't go back for 10 more days. Um, I was trying to build an online company at the time. So it was before I took over the casino portfolio yeah. um so it wasn't it wasn't really that hard um okay. i was younger don't forget i'm 55 now so in 2008 12 years ago i'm 43 like i you know <laughs> it was easier then than it, than it would be now from give, just give me, a, give me a little bit of insight in your day like what is uh how do you meditate do you try to wake up work out every day uh, give me like your sleep pattern are you up at 5 a.m do you go to uh, bed at time or I, you just kind of go with the flow I sleep about three, four hours a night. It's my biggest weakness. I take sleep. Strength though. I wish I could only sleep that. I think I sleep too much. I sleep, you know, I take sleeping pills, but I try to take them sporadically. So I don't, you know, end up kind of addicted to sleeping pills. Um, But I have a ton of energy. I'm always wide awake. I'm always really energetic. I do work out a lot. I play a lot of sports. I play hockey twice a week, ice hockey, play basketball. Now during COVID with either one of my sons, every single day, we'll go outside. We have a basketball court in the backyard. It's the only thing we can do. So we do that. Um, and you know, I think during the day, what I do is I, you know, I basically take a lot of calls and, uh, look at a lot of investments and, uh, that's what I do. I, I'm fielding tons of emails and tons of phone calls and tons of texts. And, um, I'm very interactive. I love being, you know, interacting with people. Um, the hardest part of the day is that there's so many people that, you know, they think their idea is the best idea ever and they need to see me. And I'm not an angel investor. I don't have any interest in, in angel investing. I did do it as a shark on our shark tank here in Canada for two years. Um, what was that called? I just saw that somewhere. Dragon's Den in Canada. Okay. Dragon's Den. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, my day is pretty, pretty cool. I'll, I'll try to work out as many days as I can. Uh, try to speak to as many people or text as many people. I actually don't like talking on the phone, to be honest. Um, although this, the, the, the zoom culture, I mean, I've been using zoom, but like everyone else for the odd appointment uh, the odd meeting, I mean, yeah. um, I really like this. It allows me to connect with people that I haven't seen in a while. There's no pressure that we have to go for dinner and then I got to make the plans and then cancel them. This is like perfect. I could, you know, call old friends and, and hook up with them in a way that I haven't been able to do in a long time. I think that will continue after COVID actually. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. FaceTime does it. It adds a, it adds a nice it adds a nice touch to it instead of a phone call. I like that. I, I don't do it quite enough because yeah, it should just it just why not right? You have that technology. It's way more person mm-hmm. uh, person friendly and and uh, engaging. So let's uh all right. Well, Mitch, I mean, very very cool. This is uh this is definitely. I mean, again, it's, a, it's we always chat, but I always learn something new, and it's nice to uh, to get an insight kind of on the the, the timeline and some of that stuff. Uh, what, is there anything else before we go to the questions? Or anything else you want to touch on? It's a lot. We covered a ton of stuff. Any no, other? man, you're you're too good. <laughs> we like I like to talk for sure. I love I love that you uh, you drop and give us the the insights uh, into your world. So it's very very fascinating, and and we're gonna uh, let's kind of dive into some of these these questions here. Do you have it? Do you see these? I'll read them out. I'll just kind of scan through some. I'm not going to see that. It looks like it's like a microscopic. Hold on. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) I I can kind of, I'll just read them out. Uh, Someone asking, when will our planet return to normal existence? And we covered a bit of, it's hard to guess on these type of things and, and you know, normal or not, but do you see like, let's just, let's just say this. When do you think, when will Mitch Garber and your family, when do you see yourself getting, on a plane or, or traveling, like if you had to just guess, just throw out a timeline. Yeah, just- I, you know, first of all, the other country has to accept me, so that's currently, you know, not even in the cards. I can't travel to the states, so imagine. I don't. This must be the first time the Canadian-U.S. borders closed, maybe yeah. in its history. Um, yeah, that's true. So you know, never mind Italy and Spain and 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 places in between. Um, back to normal. Look, it's kind of like the stock market. If we if we show the Dow. Right now on the screen, I don't, I'm not following the market today. Let's just say it's 22,500. I don't know what it is. Um, and we put this interview in a time capsule and we agree that on April 15th, 2025, we're going to rewatch it. Okay. The world's going to be perfectly normal. The Dow is going to be 45,000. Okay. Right. Um, it's going to have been a blip. Now, it will have enduring effect, the blip, the, the, the same way that the cockpits are locked and that you take off your shoes and you can't have more than hundred milliliters of liquid when you get on a plane. So everything changed on nine 11. Okay. So now a whole bunch of other stuff will change. For example, I would say less than 20% of all people will shake your hand from now on. It used to be 95. Now it's going to be 20 in Quebec. We hug and kiss two cheeks. Everyone we meet, that's going to go from 95 to 15, 20, that's a change, okay? That that doesn't doesn't change our life dramatically. Um, but like I said, in five years, you and I go back. Um, we'll relook at this, and the world will be back to normal. Casinos will be full. The World Series of Poker will have already four new champions by then. Um, right. You know, there'll be Super Bowls. Everything will be everything will be happening, but somewhat differently. That's interesting, though. Even like the handshake stuff, that does it makes it a little bit awkward, right? Because it's like you go for a handshake. Yeah, you don't want to get hung, right? <laughs> you're supposed to, but like you don't know, and then you're like, it's like almost you like you do this, you know, you do the whatever. yeah, like hey, or yeah, some some something new will take place. But okay, so yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah, we can't predict exactly, but it's uh, things will get back to normal. Like you know, we can be sure that. And honestly, you know, usually I think these things do stuff does come for the better overall right there is changes maybe even people are going to be more healthy like overall like people less colds less things people are going to be more conscious of germs and and these type of things so i think like you know net net this could actually be a a positive and it it generally doesn't see like it's i I look at it similar to black friday when i saw all black friday happen i can't play anymore uh from home or in the u.s 
you know, that in me, it was like, oh, that's the end of the world. But really, it was the best thing that ever happened. I started, you know, I was out of shape, started traveling more, um, you know, doing other things. And things would have been very different, sort of like the sliding doors. You take the scenario where that just never happened. And my life's completely different, of course. But yeah, for better or worse, I would guess worse, most likely. Right. So it's kind of uh, me too. The- it's, it's really hard. It's hard to, it's hard to think about and, and say, but you know, also some people are locked in focused right now, creative people coming up with ideas, being more motivated. And you know, th- yeah, there's, there's a lot of good that I think can, can end up coming. I mean, my, you know, my wife, my wife and, and several others are, are saying that the planet needed a rest. Now it's too bad that that rest costs a lot of lives, but you know, you see the skies in LA and they're, and they're clear and you see, you know, um, you see that without all the cars on the road and all the factories in, at full capacity and all the people out there, that the planet's kind of breathing. Um, it's just, it's just unfortunate that the, that we can't let it breathe without taking lives in order for it to be able to breathe. Exactly. You know, it's well said. It's also, that's yeah, hopefully there's some long, it doesn't just all go right back to normal. Maybe this is going to yeah, spar some major spur some major changes. So um, okay. let's hope that is the case. Uh, so let's see. Yeah. Uh, can you see people eventually going back to live games in equal numbers when this virus is finished? Or would you see a percentage of staying online from now on? Do you, do you believe that like casinos are, will it, will it be back to normal? And, and it, let's just take that five-year example. Or do you think this is something that could have a long-term effect where more people will just stay online or just not, you know, become more homebodies? Or do you think it's just like two, three years, we're back to complete normalcy? Um, I think my answer is more generational. Um, you know, I've been away from the casino now for three years and I'm really wondering whether, um, my younger son is 19. I don't know that he dreams to go to Vegas and play blackjack and poker. Um, that's a big part of the answer is whether the next generation that's binging Netflix, um, and, and Snapchatting, you know, their girlfriends and boyfriends, um, whether they dream to go to Vegas, maybe, maybe to party when they're 21. Cause it's like a rite of passage. Um, but I, I just don't know, you know, what about the next generation? This is, this, this is not sexist. This is factual that traditionally, um, almost all of the slot players were women and they were older women. So this next generation of young women and young men, do they want to sit at a slot machine for four hours or six hours or eight hours and play? My guess is they don't. Right. Yeah. Right. It's similar to golf. You see this uh, top golf kind of uh, coming up. It's like a speed, like almost like bowling for golf. And there's, you know, TV and drinking and people are hanging out. And it's like different where a lot of the golf courses, kids aren't want, guys aren't my age and the youth coming up. They don't want to spend six, six hours and go out golfing all day long. I mean, it's still some of that, but it's just things adapt, things change. And, and I think that's something we're seeing, you know, the exactly culture. Also the world series numbers. I remember seeing a stat that shocked me. It was like the number of 21 to 25 year old players. It was super, super low. Like, you know, that just, I, didn't, I didn't know that, but that makes sense. Well, also the number of 21 to 25 year olds that have 10 grand is probably super low too, but yeah, but it, exactly. But it's just like, it's, it's changed so much. Like it was, it was, I, when I heard the statistic, it really, I was like, wow, that is not, you know, that doesn't look great for, uh, you know, for, yeah, that's the, that's that poker, but so Jeff, um, when I first got to Vegas, the, the revenue mix was 70 gaming, 30 non-gaming. When I left, it was 30 gaming, 70 non-gaming. So all the nightclubs, all the day clubs, all the retail, all the beach clubs, um, all the restaurants, all the celebrity chefs, all of that, right. the gaming upside down. Mm-hmm. And those casinos 
weren't built on restaurant revenue. So it also changes the paradigm for the future of the casino industry. Yeah, that's a good point. That's very interesting. I didn't realize it was that dramatic. Of it's a, dramatic. Yeah. That, that things change, that's for sure. Um, what, what is the thing you're most excited about being a part of the Seattle NHL franchise? There is no one thing. My God, it's a dream. I love every single aspect of it. You know, uh, David Bonderman is a mentor to me and a really good friend. And uh, he's the founder of TPG. And uh, when, you know, he asked me if I wanted to be part of the ownership group, it was like, you know, it's, yeah, of course I do. And um, now I'm on the executive committee. So, um, you know, I get to meet a lot with Jerry Bruckheimer and, uh, and Bonderman and the other executive committee members, really these, you know, uh, well-known, super successful, philanthropic, Seattle-based business people, um, building, rebuilding the key arena. It's a a billion dollar project, Um, building an an AHL team from scratch, uh, choosing colors and a logo that's going to come out soon. It would have come out if we didn't have the, you know, COVID-19. Just being involved in every aspect of, of, of the planning. So it's, I, I love business and I love hockey. So can you imagine to be sitting at the table and having a real seat at the table and, um, and enjoying it so much. And I just enjoy the guys and, and the women Our top, you know, the, the top uh, analytics person is a woman and she's so awesome. She knows hockey. We talk, you know, talk a lot about hockey. Ron Francis is the GM. He's unbelievable. Todd Lewecki, really well-known guy, CEO of the team. So, um, yeah, I'm, I love it. I love everything, but I can't even, I can't even talk about it. I, just, right. I didn't get you too excited. Uh, all right. Fair enough. Uh, so I want to ask about DGen stories. Like uh, you kind of told us one actually very similar. One of my best friends, Gary Owen, who's actually a lobbyist uh, and, and works, represents some stuff, GCSI in Michigan. Um, I actually met too. He was at my birthday, Gary. I don't know if you remember him, Gary Owen. He, uh, we had the almost similar story in Vegas. We were underage. Um, I think I was 18. I had a fake ID. Same thing. Lost. Went to the, went in there with the casinos at the Hard Rock. Thrown up outside of the cab on the way home. Lost my money. Tried to get more money and used a fake ID at the teller when I was like, you know, I had been drinking, and then just like took it back and we ran. And it was it was just like a mess. But it was like I remember 18 years old. I had that Vegas story and being being there. Do you have any like degenerate stories? Like, do you have any like that? That's like a kid experience doing your thing. But do, like, did you ever? play in the pits or make a big sports bet or roulette no. or like have any kind of, it's not really your personality, right? But do you ever I, know, you know, I lost some money playing cards in, 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 I went to junior college. You have to go to junior college here, but okay. I never really, first of all, I, 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 I don't love that the poker players, you know, refer to themselves as DJs, even though I know it's, they're joking, but I really don't like it. It's not a good word. Yeah. I don't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't think it's true. You know, I don't, I, I don't, I look at you and Bill Perkins and Esfandiari and Locke and, and Helmuth. And, and I think you guys are amazing. I think you guys are Liv Borey. She's not a degen. She's, you know, th- these people are really, really focused and really, really smart. Now, what I have seen in the professional poker world is that a lot of the professional poker players are terrible drinkers. And I've seen some real messes coming out of the, the hotels where poker tournaments have taken place. I can think of a couple in France. I can think of a couple in Vegas. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, yes, there's been, I, yeah, I've seen a couple of guys get really into bad, bad, bad shape. And, and for whatever reason, after a certain period of time, I realized it is somehow poker related because you can't have that much bad luck of getting into fights and, get, and being dragged out of places, you know? Yeah. It's like a law of numbers. At some point, you have to take you have to take responsibility and and, and for your <laughs> actions and, and and realize what you're good at and what what you're not and maybe you shouldn't be doing. Anyway, it. never you. It's never been you or Antonio for that matter. 
True. That's true. Um, yeah. So, okay. Fair enough. No, I, I, I'd, I'd say, okay. So, but you, you're, that's never been, you've never had like a crazy, like, Oh, I did something silly or like, or something where you wish you hadn't done. You've, you've had some, you played some poker, you've done some stuff, but nothing, nothing out of the like super outline. No, 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 I don't have a crazy gambling story of mine, you know? Right. I'm sure. Yeah. You're sure your friends and yeah, you know, yeah. you know many. So yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll let the, those, uh, tell yeah, them. Five, yeah. There's like, I know I've, there's, there's so many crazy things that have happened. I mean, uh, the things you see, if you spend enough time in Vegas, you know, second families, uh, I, I've seen, I've seen so many crazy things, but, um, wild, wild, wild yeah. feels for sure. Um, give us, a uh, give us a secret to success. What could you help Jeff? Some uh, Steven broth asked, what can you help Jeff? add to his game and make him even more of a champion. I mean, I, I think, well, I don't know. He's talking about poker, which I, again, you've said, you're not a poker player. What, what about, about see, you know me, you know, I've, I've got, I've actually presented a couple ideas in different business ventures and, and things, but is there any kind of uh, advice you would give in terms of the business side or maybe yeah. being focused on stuff? Yeah. So all the, you know, all the basic stuff you have, you know, like, so, you know, work ethic, outwork your opponent, learn more about the business that, than anybody else knows about the business, try to team up with the best people, like all that stuff, you know, I would say that the biggest mistake that people make is that they don't quantify the opportunity correctly. And they, oh, this sounds like a good idea. And I always say to them, okay, how much money ideally would you like to be in a decent position to make? And let's say you tell me, you know what, I want to be in a decent position to make $3 million. Like, okay, so let's figure this out for a minute. For you to make $3 million and you own 20% of it, all right, so the thing's got to be worth $15 million. You've got to be able to sell it for $15 million or have cash flow that comes out of it, you know, for 10 years into your pocket of $300,000 a year, and then maybe you could sell it. Does this sound like the kind of thing that could produce that? And more often than not, the answer is no. Right. Right. So what sounds like a good idea when you put it on paper and you map out what you would like the reasonable expected outcome to be, you need to know to walk away from it even though you're attracted to the idea, right? Um, because you're only going to be able to focus on one or two really, really good projects at any one given time. And so if you choose the one that doesn't have the reasonable expected outcome, then all the good ones are not going to come to you. You're not going to have time to look at them. And you, you may do something you like, which by the way, if you say my reasonable expected outcome is to enjoy myself and not to make money, oh, that's amazing. Then I could think of a lot of shit that you could do. Right. Um, absolutely. That, the, that's, you know, I think that's true. It's, it's hard too. it's hard to get spread out. You know, you start doing, try to do this and that you have a family and then all of a sudden you just get spread thin and, you know, it's hard to really, uh, be focused on, on one thing. Um, so we, we did cover Cirque du Soleil, but how do you think the crisis of the pandemic will affect Cirque du Soleil? Thinking about the future company, we covered this already earlier in the podcast. So this was a question from lady floppy, but just to, just to kind of close out on that in terms of you, you mentioned 4,700, roughly laid off out of 5,000 currently. Is that something though? Is this indefinitely? Are those everyone's like, is that something when it, in a year from now or when it's time and you think live venues can come Cirque du Soleil, the Cirque du Soleil brand is so strong. It is the, Oh no, the Cirque du Soleil brand will absolutely come back. Yeah. Um, the problem is that we're carrying a zero revenue company. Um, you know, at first when Vegas closed, you thought, oh, okay, it'll close for a month. Now people are talking about fall 2021, right? right? It's not even fall 2020 yet. Right. Yeah. So um, we'll come back. I think it'll look a bit different than it looks right now. Um, my heart goes out to anyone who's watching this um, that was laid off, obviously. 
Um, yeah, it's easy to say, well, it wasn't our fault, but that's not the point. The point is we have some of the best, most dedicated people in the world. These people have trained their whole lives. They've been in the Olympics or uh, they've trained as a family or a group of friends for, for decades to, to hone their craft. And there's very few people in the world that need a contortionist uh, yeah. or a family of jugglers. So we know that we're the career for these people. You know, if you're an accountant, you could figure out a way uh, to make a living. So I think, look, I think we have to do our best to try to reinvent the Cirque during the downtime, to replan the, the reopening of the Cirque and to truly understand when the world is going to reopen for live entertainment so we could plan properly for it. Um, you know, I think Live Nation probably has a similar, not probably, they have a similar problem. You know, they're in the, we're both in the business of selling tickets. We only sell tickets. I mean, we make very little money on food and beverage or merchandise. We sell 13 million tickets a year. It's about a $1.1 billion business. It's all tickets. Right. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, there's, there's really, yeah. It's like you, you, you gave the analogy with sports and the merchandising and other different maybe things, what they could maybe do, how they could possibly do it. It's not, it doesn't really, it's Cirque du Soleil. It's not something you really could just put on a show and put it live stream. Right. I mean, it's like, doesn't work. doesn't work like that. No. Where you can do that. Um, it might. I mean, we have to, we'll have to reinvent the business and see if that is a business. Right. For sure. Um, Let's see. I, w- I want to ask you about the online gaming and integrity um, with just looking back on some of the big scandal with Pot Ripper, like the UB uh, absolute stuff. Right. Which was a which was a huge, huge uh, blemish, a bad look for poker with the, the seeing the cards and that. And now, I mean, do you have it? I want to ask about the Mike Postle situation. Have you caught wind of that? Are you even aware of that? Do you know what that is? Do you have any thoughts on that situation? Yeah. So- Actually, look, you probably don't remember this, but I spoke to you about it because I, I was reading all the tweets and yeah. I'm like, okay, so I don't remember who it is, but like someone took the time to, Ingram probably is, right, to, to go back through all the hands and go through all the math. And so I'm reading, you know, I'm reading the end of the story, which is if you look at all the hands, it's highly unlikely that you would have folded that hand, that you would have gone all in on that hand. Yeah, you can look at two or three hands. On that hand. So you can make the odd, like if it's me playing, you can say, okay, the guy's just a bad poker player and he does dumb shit, so, which is possible, you know? But, right. <laughs> but so, so that my understanding of it is, you know, what I look at is there's this big allegation that there's a collusion, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's someone in a truck or maybe it's someone, someone somewhere. Maybe there's, look, the Houston Astros, buddy, you would have told me that, that, that the Houston Astros are buzzing their, their players that it's a fastball when he's standing in the batter's box. I'm told you, no way is that possible. So whatever it, happened with that, did they end up, did they have to give up their, 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 no, uh, they, no, they, no, they, no, they didn't. I mean, I think it's inconclusive, but my point is it's a similar, similar story, right? This, this yeah. big allegation with lots of circumstantial evidence about it. Right. Um, I think the bigger, the bigger problem was full tilt actually. Okay. Like to be honest with you, no one probably knows about this possible situation outside of the really niche poker world. But full tilt, um, you know, where all the money was gone and there's this massive, you know, DOJ uh, indictment of a group of really well-known people and processors um, that gave poker a real black eye. And I, and I think, you know, the Scheinbergs did a really good job in cleaning that up. Yeah. Yeah. Paying the bat. Those were, those numbers were dormant. That was basically a done deal. Like people, you know, that I remember I had not a lot of money on there, but I had friends that had a ton, you know, jungle man, for example, or other guys had millions of dollars. And this like was people are, I remember people are 
offering and buying on cents on the dollar, like their balances to get money out. Cause it was years. Right. And like, they, they actually bought it and gave everyone, paid everyone back what stars did for um, full time. Right. That was pretty, pretty sweet. Listen, I think what you guys need to understand is that, you know, people expect the cards to be random and they expect the money to be paid the same way that we expect that, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback has not made a bet against the Cowboys. Right. And then throws a bunch of interceptions. We expect for that not to be the case. You yeah. know, we expect for the Howard letterers or the Jesuses or whatever. We expect, we expect the top people in their game um, to, to be, you know, to be very credible. If what we're trying to get is legalized, um, legalized, trustworthy, um, regulated poker. So that was a, that was a black eye. It's been a long time. Um, a lot of the uh, land-based casinos have now made investments in, in online gaming companies, all the online gaming companies I know today, the Patty powers and the parties and the poker stars. And these, these are all run really tight. Um, you know, and I would trust my money with any of them. For sure. I, I, absolutely right. And what is, uh, what about that? The guy though, just to just, just, I heard something. I I think actually plays at the aisle, Russ Hamilton, the guy who was like behind this UB and all that. Like I I just understand how, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the repercussions that he faced, I just feel like there was not really did he, I don't even know if he did jail time and he still just like goes around and does whatever. Are you familiar? Cause he was around, I mean, that UB and all an absolute, that was the big, that they were, that was around your time when you were there. Right. I mean, that was, Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know him. I don't remember what happened with him. I know that, he for sure had 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 his um, his comeuppance with Ty Stewart and Jack uh, Effel for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, if I remember correctly, he was banned from the World Series, but I don't know for how many years, and I don't know if he's still banned from the World Series. I, I don't I don't know. I think he won the main event, and maybe his banner was covered or something, or or maybe I'm wrong on that. But yeah, anyway, there's listen, all those things they come to a surface, right? When you do things the wrong way and you're doing things, uh, it, it just it really never just goes unnoticed, right? You just find a way greed comes in, things happen and, and just, it doesn't, it doesn't work out. You know, it's not those type of things. Just uh, it's, it's actually crazy though. Thinking about full tilt and thinking about Russ Hamilton. These are guys that have like a print press, the right place, right time. You're in gaming. You're in, you have a major company that's literally minting money and you're providing a service and people are enjoying playing all that. And just like, it's just, it's just kind of like, it's just, it's kind of blows your mind, right? It must, I mean, it just must infuriate you so much. And obviously everyone who's involved or been impacted, but it's just kind of like, come on, really? Like, you, well, can't, I mean, you know, Jeff, Martha Stewart went to jail for lying about a $75,000 stock trade and she was a billionaire at the time. You know, there's a lot of things that are not easy to, to, to explain um, rationally. Um, you know, your credibility is very important because you want to be invited to a home game in LA or Houston um, and you want, the people who to invite you because they think you're a good, honest poker player and that you bring integrity to the game and that you'll be actually fun to be around. They can learn something from you. Um, and as soon as that reputation is tarnished, you lose all that opportunity. So the guys, the guys you mentioned have lost a ton of opportunity. Yeah, no, it's, that's a good point. That definitely, uh, that definitely is true. And, and that's something that I guess people just, for whatever reason, they, they just, don't care. They don't think about it or they just can't help it. But, um, 2020 people are asking about WSOP. I mean, obviously that's like you said, yeah. covered it. not nothing tie in those guys. It's in good hands. They're going to make the best decision. Absolutely. Pop- they want it to happen. Believe me, they'll find a way. I mean, if Ty has to do the tournament in his house, one player at a time, he'll figure it out. 
they'll, they'll make it, they'll make it, make it go. Um, who was the first poker celebrity you ever met or who was like some, is there any celebrities in poker that you, you got to meet or over the years from not even poker, just some, some interesting celebrities that you thought were cool, interesting people. Um, yeah, I think, Give us. I mean, well, well, certainly, certainly, um, Phil thinks he's a celebrity, so I have to, you know, <laughs> give him some love. Yeah, I love him. By the way, I really, yeah, really do great. like him a lot. Um, guy. People have to understand the the persona. It's almost like he's a professional wrestler that, in the real world, is a dentist. You know, right. uh, like he's a good family guy, and and he's a really, really smart person. And, uh, and then he puts on the WWE costume and walks into the room, and I really respect it because I think he does it better than. Than, uh, than anybody else. He, he, um, yeah, it's in the character almost. Like he know he can like flick a switch and just goes into it, right? And he just he just lives it and breathes it. And he's he is a great ambassador for the right. game, no question about it. So um, so I'll give you a celebrity story that's tied to actually a really good story. Um, Guy invited me to a hockey game in Montreal in his box at the time, and he that was when he had the idea of the uh, of the of the million dollar buy in tournament and mm-hmm. marrying it with the WSOP and one drop. And so it was his idea, but obviously it needed me and the WSOP to put it together, but it was his idea. Yeah. So after the hockey game, we agreed that a few weeks later we would meet and I was in Vegas um, with Ty and uh, Guy was in the Bahamas and it was the time of the, of the, the poker stars tournament in, uh, in Nassau. Yeah. Guy had this big uh, villa at uh, what's the name of that place? Ocean. Uh, anyways, it's part of the, it's, it's like the, the super villa part of the Atlantis anyway. So he has, so he has this massive villa and um, he says to me, he texts me or whatever. He says, can you guys come to the Bahamas and let's close the deal on WSOP. So I fly Ty, just me and Ty. Oh, and Scott, and Scott Wilson. We're all in Vegas. Yeah. So I fly them to Nassau from Vegas. We land, we drive to Guy's Villa and Guy's at the table with Rene Angelil, Jonathan Duhamel, there's a millions of dollars of chips on the table. Um, Sasakaya is probably the you know premier Italian wine in the world. It's maybe six seven hundred dollars a bottle. That's right. for the people watching. That's for the that's just for the rail. The rails get rails for Sasakaya. Yeah. And, and I and I have to say I'm saying to myself this is pretty awesome. I mean, first of all, Rene Angelil was a really good friend of mine. I did the eulogies memorial service. Celine Dion's uh, husband. So you know he's a famous poker player. Um, you know, obviously we've all run into the Afflicks and, 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 and the Toby Maguire's, these guys are, they, they really love poker. I think it's their relief. And, uh, yeah. I we play a lot with those guys and, and Phil Locke plays with them and Antonio and Pasha, obviously those guys. Yeah. Um, so sooner or later you come across, you know, almost everybody, whether it's Gabe Kaplan or, and the, I think they just don't want to be bothered. Um, uh, Don Cheadle, um, just wants to play poker and they seek this sort of, escape from their celebrity life unless they're playing in a celebrity poker game. Right. So, you know, I've, I've gotten to see a lot of, um, a lot of really interesting people that when you get to talk to them at a poker table, it's a, uh, it's a much different experience. I played poker with Bill Clinton. Uh, you know, th- th- these are the kinds of things like in a tournament that you can't make that you, you can't make that happen elsewhere. Right. And that's a good point. I think you said these guys, this is like their pastime. This is where they want to relax and not get uh, bombarded. And it's, it's just kind of, it's fun. And I think you, you sort of realize that poker is just one of those, those things that you can really equal the playing field and celebrity athletes, poker pros, like anyone can get on there and, you know, you do a charity tournament and there's all ins and there's, there's a mixture of skill and luck. It's just fun, right? It's a fun way to sort of uh, engage with, with all different types of 
types of people. Um, let's see here. Is it, uh, so let's see. So oh, I actually, I want to know, give me, give it, but being, what is being on the board, uh, the Cirque du Soleil, um, what does that entail? What is that, what is that daily? Like, or, or what, what being on that Nor Let's take po- before COVID-19 and just in general, like what, yeah. what your day to day with certain doing stuff. Right. So when it's not COVID-19, there's no day to day. Um, you basically, um, you, you are, the chairman of the board that's in charge of the proper governance and running of the company. Um, you will approve the hiring and firing of the CEO, maybe the CFO. You will uh, approve and help with the strategy, whether you're buying companies or selling assets. Um, all of the in the strategy, whether you're going to go public or borrow money or, or, or take on a strategic partner or strategic investor. So these are all things that come to the board. Um, the board, the, the chairman, as I see it, and I've been doing this for a long time in a number of companies. Um, I see myself as sort of, um, I'm, I'm like the air traffic controller of the company, meaning I want to make sure that all the planes are taking off and leaving on time. And all the people are, are equally in the know about what's going on. So board members want to be communicated with. So I just want to make sure that the board members know what's going on in the company. The CEO is communicating with them. Um, you know, it's not an operational role. You're not running the company. Um, but you have a lot of say about the, the strategy and the vision because you're hiring the CEO. So when right. you're interviewing the CEO and the board is interviewing them, then they want to know, okay, what are we going to do to, um, to produce the most value for shareholders? And that's how we end up hiring and firing CEOs. And that's how we end up buying or selling assets. And, and, and that's kind of a role that I enjoy very much. I'm the chairman of invest in Canada. It's a government organization that the prime minister, uh, um, established two years ago. So we're in charge of all foreign investment into Canada. Um, it's many, many tens of billions of dollars. So if Mitsubishi, which they're doing, is opening a plant in Canada, which they're doing, we may be competing against Iowa. Um, and so, you know, trying to bring the incentives together. Uh, we have a CEO and a full team, but as the chairman, I make sure that the, that the organization is run properly, that the, that the, that the goals and the milestones are, are approved by us. Uh, right. and there's accountability for hitting or missing those uh, objectives. And is that, is that something that would, so Guy, obviously being a close friend of yours and you came on, was that something you had, did that come about kind of spur of the moment or was that sort of like always like something you wanted to do slash maybe you, you yeah. Guy, did he say, Hey, like, would you be interested down the line or did it just kind of come up? No, it came up because Guy was the seller and I'm the chairman of the buyer. Okay. And, and, uh, how, is it out of all the places you've worked or been a part of, or been had a major role CEO or, or a big title, which do you think was the most impactful in your career where you maybe learned the most or, or had the biggest, uh, biggest shake up in your, in your life? Like it was just kind of like, you really felt like you, it was a powerful experience and you, you learned a lot, gained a lot. Is there anyone that stands out to you as like a yeah. unique experience? Yeah. Look, it has to be party because, um, I dealt with really big highs and really big lows and really hard decisions, um, big financial decisions, big DOJ decisions, big um, board decisions. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I won't lie. It was really hard um, emotionally and, and personally. It was very, very difficult. And um, but I learned a lot about myself. Um, you know, I'm just a guy who I get out of bed every day and I go and, uh, you know, you certainly you don't want to be hit in the head. If you're boxing, you don't want to be hit in the head you know, all day long, but sometimes, sometimes you just are being hit in the head all day long. And what I've learned the most, you know, you asked me before, and I told you that uh, measuring the potential most reasonable outcome that you want from an, from a venture, that's probably 
equally important to being surrounded by the right people. What screws up businesses and deals is the wrong people in the wrong positions. So right. I can tell you that, you know, I had a CFO at party named Martin Weigold, and he was the best partner that I could ever have dreamed of. I had Craig Abrams and Ty Stewart and Robert Antical uh, at uh, Caesars. I had, uh, you know, Joel Leonoff and, and Rory Olson and Doug Lewin. And I had Gary Loveman at Caesars. I had, so I've had, I've had the best teammates. Like I'm always playing on the best team, basically. Right. You know? Which so, is, that's, that is, I mean, that's, that's, that's fortunate and nice, but it's also, that's, that's you orchestrating your, your situations, you know, people and you see relationships and you try to, you know, you find your way to go to those places. Right. I mean, you, I, you know, yeah. Some of it's luck, some of it's judgment. Right. It's a, it's yeah. It's a, what, what's the question here? What's the happiest moment in your life? Do you have a, do you have one of those? Can you, can you narrow that down? I mean, you got family, you got kids, marriage, like, is there anything that's like a euphoria moment? Maybe not even just take those aside. Cause those are like obvious. That's like, yeah. So those are, so, so, so those are obvious. I would say that, um, it happened in, uh, so yeah. So all family aside, right. Yep. And, all, and all money aside. Okay. So that's, that's, that's two big things aside, but, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I got a call, um, in, uh, April of 2019. Um, I was on my way from a board meeting of invest in Canada in Ottawa to the train station, take a train back to Montreal. And I get a call and it's the governor general's office of Canada, which is like, you know, like the queen calling you. So, Anyway, so, so as, as, as Mitch Garber, I said, yeah. And, and I was advised that, um, I was being awarded the order of Canada, which is the highest civilian honor in, in, in Canada. And so on July 1st, the order, of Canada? The order of Canada, Okay, it's like your presidential medal of freedom, which was awesome until they started giving it to like, uh, you know, I don't know, Rush Limbaugh and it's like just anyone who showed up, but <laughs> All right. This, so one year ago, this is that you got presented with. Not even. No, it was. Uh, yeah, it was one year ago. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so Canada Day was the day that it was announced. Um, and wow. yeah, it's the biggest honor in, um, That's, in Canada. You know, like Gretzky has it, and all these great people. So I, that was the biggest thrill of my life. And that was based on uh, just that's like an overall they take a snapshot of just like things you're doing or is there like a specific was it because of uh, some something in particular? I don't know how that works. Or they just sort uh, of you can't you can't apply for it. You can't know the process for it. And um, but they do tell you what it's for because they write a big, beautiful thing about you. And so yeah, I was a combination of um, of uh, business and philanthropic contribution to Canadian society. Very cool. I, I knew it, it is cool. I didn't know that specifically of that. I didn't realize that that was uh, an award. I, I hadn't heard that term. I knew you have won some philanthropic awards and, and been recognized for. So that's very cool. That's a, that's nice. That's a, that's yeah. That's, you can't really, that's one of those money or family just that's okay. That qualifies. That would, that is a very unique special. You, yeah. So congratulations on that. Um, all right. We got to take a couple more, Mitch. I know you got a, you got a ton going on, obviously very busy time, uh, business, many businesses you're involved with. And, and this is definitely a, you know, it's an emergency of, of such with just time sensitive things and people's lives and, and livelihoods on the line, a lot of decisions to make. So, um, you know, I, I, I know how busy you are. Is there, is there anything that you, uh, you mentioned, uh, I guess mentors already, but just in terms of at, at a time, let's just take when you were really getting going back, back in the day, was there any, anyone you could say that sort of gave you uh, a piece of advice or, or gave, put you in the right direction? Uh, let's say very early on in your career, anyone that you could, you could uh, help? Uh, so, you know, there's, there's probably a few things I think, you know, first of all, my, uh, my father dropped out of school in the eighth grade and my mom went to teacher's college. 
and my parents valued education for my sister and I over everything else. And she got an MBA and I went to law school. So, you know, my parents hadn't had the opportunity to do there to do that. Um, and so there is no advice that I got that ended up producing a greater result than getting, you know, two degrees, getting that law degree and, um, and, and putting that to good use. That was the best advice. Um, my godfather hired me in his firm and allowed me to, um, he had, he had done a few files in gaming for carnival cruise lines and he allowed me, I saw an opportunity to build a business plan, go to Atlantic city, meet with all the collection managers and build a gaming business. He gave me that platform and that opportunity. Um, so those are like two really meaningful moments. Um, you know, Gary Loveman at, at Caesars and David Bonderman and Mark Rowan, who said, go ahead and buy this company that you can't win anything from and sells virtual cocktails on Facebook. Yeah, go ahead and do that. And that turned obviously to be, um, to be really, really well, um, really good advice. Right. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've had a few really good, um, you know, my wife has given me a lot of really great advice. Um, one of the transactions that I did, which started my entire sort of business career, uh, on the, on the right path was that I wasn't going to go to a cocktail that she thought I should go to. And at the last minute, she kind of kicked me out of the house and said, go, you never know what's going to happen. The guy ends up buying the company. I was the CEO of at the time that was running out of cash. And then that turned into everything that I have today. So, yeah. You, I, you mentioned this at the beginning, um, about CEO of optimal payments, the owner of net teller, but I guess was, uh, was that, yeah. this was, um, pay safe or now? Yeah. So, I mean, that, and that, that was, uh, so you were CEO of that company and that, that was a, how big of a deal was that? I mean, that, that sold like that was, uh, when you actually left there, what was the, what was it called? Then? Probably worth, it, was probably, it was when I left, it was probably worth a billion and a half. It sold for 3.9 or so billion to, uh, uh, Blackstone and CVC. Uh, and now it's probably worth 10, 12 billion. Um, you know, really, um, I started it with two guys, Joel Leonoff and Rory Olson, um, and built it to what optimal became. So maybe that's the 1.5, but Joel Leonoff, he took it when it was broken into little pieces after UIGA, um, totally without my involvement. And, um, he bought it for nothing and he had a vision. He built it into this. He bought and bought and bought Nettel. He did all this, he did all these deals and he just did an amazing job. He's, he's a brilliant he moves like a turtle and he thinks like a, like Einstein. So there you go. Um, weird combo. Someone asked about who is the, you mentioned the name Ruth. I've heard this name tossed around a lot. They're asking the owner, the creator of the party poker website. Um, th- th- this is, uh, do you, this was in 2000. You came on in 2000. How did they approach you? How did you get in touch and get into party at this time? Like, why was that a, a, a segue for you to come into this? How did she hold you or how did they, how did I, they approach you? I think I was at a Vegas conference in 2005, six, 2005. And I think a friend of mine called one of the founders and said, I got the perfect CEO for you. This guy will be awesome CEO if you're looking to change CEOs, what they were looking to do. Maybe he knew that. I don't remember. Right. Um, and I don't, actually don't even remember if I had met Ruth before or not. But um, and she, she still- they, were being advised, they were being advised by Deutsche Bank at the time. So Deutsche Bank in, interviewed me and then the board interviewed me. And, um, you know, it was a long process before I ended up getting the job. And and uh, how can you give us a little? Because I mean, she's one of those names in poker that I, I don't know much about. I've heard 
uh, Michael Seabor, and, and then I was around that. I believe did you work with her? around there? Um, yeah. She's a very very smart entrepreneurial woman. She was at the time married to a man named Russ DeLeon. Um, she started the business. She um, was really the architect of the business, but he was the architect of the professionalization of it to make it into a company that could be public. So as a team, they were very, very strong. Um, they're no longer married. And once it became public, it was a monster. And then, you know, the domino started to fall when, um, when the UIGA passed and that was, a that's when it became a really difficult time. Okay. And, and, uh, and, and before we close, I just want to ask uh, one more thing about the current landscape of online poker. What, what is your impre- interpretation impression of you saw like Amaya, the sale of um, poker stars, they seem to be going more into gaming. You know, a lot of guys have left on the party poker, Daniel Negreanu, obviously the face of poker stars for a decade or so is now has left myself, Jamie Staples, Kevin Martin, a lot of the, the streamers have gone and moved to party poker and there's been a shift. Um, do you have any, what's, what's the reason? Let me ask you, uh, turn the table on you. What's the reason for that? Yeah. Th- well, again, I, I had, I had a good time. Poker stars does a lot of things. Well, they're a major, they have a great software uh, that they have a lot of good things going there, but it just seems the direction of the company kind of has shifted uh, less into poker, more about um, gaming uh, sports, sort of uh, fun games, making it different a little bit, like not, not so much the actual poker side. Rob Young, uh, who actually is a funny story. I met him sort of like the sliding doors thing. I actually lost one of the biggest pots of my life January of last year. Uh, Aces to Kings all in preflop. I was playing on a, a boat in the Bahamas, private game. Uh, Bill was with me um, playing a couple other a couple other guys I had brought. And then uh, he made quad Kings. He only runs it one time. So he, he wouldn't run it twice. And, you know, it was a massive pot, big six figure pot. And he hit quad Kings. I got to then play the next day. We played 10 hours plus, got to talk. He, he was interested in Twitch. We had meetings. Then he flew to Miami and we sort of just closed it. Cause I was re-signing with, with um, poker stars. I like, it's, it's kind of funny like that too. Sometimes you think about these type of deals or things they really do a lot of times happen sort of unique or crazy little effect of something that goes because this wasn't like I was talking to Rob premeditating going to move over to party. I didn't even have his phone number. And this was like, I was there in Bahamas in January of last year, renegotiating signing at the end of January for uh, poker stars. And then this kind of came up. So this was not like a premeditated deal and, and it kind of just shifted, but it was so apparent. I knew Rob, who Rob was and I knew he was very, he's so passionate about poker. Party poker really is about poker, making it for the players, giving extra incentives to them, doing, doing unique things and just focusing on tournaments. So really long winded answer is party is, it feels like they're focused on poker and that they they want to do things for specifically poker. So you know, it's, it's, it's in the GVC, right? GVC has sports betting, they have gaming, there's party game, there's other stuff, but the actual poker side and party poker is very focused and, and, and seems to have the right, um, what they're trying to do. For me, it aligns with what I want and just kind of the right, right situation. Yeah. So I'll give you a kind of uh, roundabout answer. You know, when I was at party, there was poker and then there was casino games on the side. Okay. Um, nothing made money other than the poker. You had a bingo and you had a bit of casino games and it was okay. And, you know, 888 has remained a relatively small company because it was focused on casino games and it wasn't focused on poker at the time when poker was huge. Then when everyone turned off, you know, they're focused on casino games, but poker stars is taking all the liquidity. So they never became a huge company. Right. Today you have poker, social games, casino games, esports, fantasy. And I think that if you're, if you're an analyst, 
you need to look really hard at, well, who's making the cash flow? Who's making the profit from here? Forget what you like. So Platika is making $700 million a year of EBITDA, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a 10-year-old company. It's one half the age of 888, and 888 never made the pivot to social games. Now you have poker, which for the foreseeable future, you don't have the open U.S. market, right? So to get those numbers, the old party poker numbers, is really, really hard. So there's only room for a few players. to. So you know, I think PokerStars is going to always focus on poker, but they, they may be smart in branching out. You know, esports, if I own Call of Duty which Bobby Kotick does at Activision, that's the part of esports that I like. I, I don't love the business outside of that. Uh, Daily Sports Fantasy, it's so far not a very profitable business. It's a cool business, but so far not a super profitable business. So I would look where the profit is, um, and diversification away from poker is not a dumb idea, especially when you look at the social mobile games business that's become really successful for the King.coms and, and, and Platicas. Right. Yeah, it's uh, that's 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 fair. And you have a what about just uh, Bazoff and uh, David Bazoff, or if I'm pronouncing it wrong, they, he was at he was a CEO of my that, that to me was kind of a weird deal. Like he sort of came in and stepped out and it was sort of like some inside stuff. Do you, do you have any insight onto that situation? Just kind of what happened there? Yeah. So he, he's a really good friend of mine and I really like him a lot. I think um, he's a very smart businessman. Right. Um, certainly. Um, he pulled off one of the greatest acquisitions of all time. A $500 million company bought a $5 billion company. It's crazy that he got black, you know, Blackstone and, 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 well, mostly Blackstone, um, to do that deal. So he did an awesome deal. He got caught up in insider trading allegations that forced him to leave the company. Uh, then he was acquitted, not acquitted. They dropped all of the charges uh, of insider trading here in, uh, in Quebec. So he ended up out of the company. He's got a ton of money. Um, He's a philanthropic guy. I think he's very, very smart. And um, like I said, uh, when you're in business, sort of the way I am, anytime someone can buy a $5 billion company, when they're a $500 million company, it's pretty awesome that you could and, and do it with, you know, do it with Blackstone. It's not like they just, uh, you know, found money on the street. That's hard money. So yeah, I take my hat off to what he, what he accomplished there. Very cool. And do, what about Party Poker? Do you have any uh, thoughts on their business and the current state? Obviously, that's why I'm sponsored by now. Rob Young and I work very closely. Do you know, Rob? Do you know any of the management there? Do you have any interaction or idea of the company and, and how no. they really just removed from the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, super fond memories. I just invested in um, the former CFO has built the biggest underground wine cellar in the Rock of Gibraltar, in the tunnels of the Rock of Gibraltar. He got like a lifetime lease to build out the tunnels into a, the biggest multi-million bottle wine cellar. So I'm an investor in it. It's going to be you know, like this offshore tax-free wine cellar for wine collectors and yachts. That was a former CEO of Party Poker as well? CFO. Martin Weigold is his name. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Very cool. So yeah. I, still some, I still have some connections and roots with, uh, with Gibraltar. Okay. Well, um, yeah, man, I, I could, I have, I, it's always, it is, it's great to catch up. I could talk forever. I think it's super interesting. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I love poker. I've been in poker doing a little differently on this plane side. I've definitely got some you know, business. I mentioned about state Kings and other things I've kind of found, you know, doing some of the other side of the stuff. It's, it's a very, it's an interesting space. I think gaming, uh, is a, it's a bit tricky too at time, you know, cause it's like, there's, you're always talking about, it's not gray area, but you, you, people are gambling, if you will, or they're playing, they're playing money. Um, 
it's uh it's it's got some negative connotations how would you just to to finish on and people in in gaming and then say where people are playing or risking money how do you sort of balance that and say um or how would you answer to people that say oh it's like bad or people are spending and losing money and that type of thing How, how would you sort of position that listen um it's a super complicated question except that you know i was in the gaming industry for entertainment okay and i oh i believe that the vast majority of people that come to Las Vegas are using entertainment dollars of theirs to entertain themselves. Right. Um, Now they're using food dollars, day club, nightclub, retail, and and gaming dollars. Um, I believe that the companies really try to identify problem gamblers. I believe that's the case online with the credible operators as well. Um, And there will be this, you know, minority of people that um, that will gamble over their heads, not with their heads, and that will end up in financial trouble. Right. And there will be people who go to the liquor store and I buy a bottle of vodka and it lasts me a month and a half. And they buy a bottle of vodka and it lasts them a day and a half. Three and hours. they end up losing, you know, losing their, their home uh, and losing their family from alcoholism. And alcoholism is serious. And, you know, and, and I'll give money to Alcoholics Anonymous and I'll give money to the responsible gaming um, uh, uh, organizations. So... You know, I really believe in in moderation. I believe in regu- I really I believe in regulation. It's important. You know, I believe in in good, honest gaming where the company is not trying to bankrupt its customer. It's trying to entertain its customer so that the customer will want to come back again another time. Not right. so that the customer will lose everything and then you'll never see the customer again. And the customer has a bad experience. You know, Vegas makes itself on return customers, and I would say that party poker makes itself on return customers as well. Right. No, I, I, okay. That's, that's exactly what's well said. That's the same thing. I want to, I stream poker. I talk about poker. I think poker is great. It's not everything. It's also important to exactly show people and talk to people and say, look, like I do this. I also have other forms of revenue. I'm sponsored. I have other things. And it's like, I'm not telling you to quit your job. I'm not telling you to become a professional poker player. I'm not telling you to risk what you can't risk. But exactly like same thing as you went to AC and busted your role and locked your keys in your car. And, you know, you could look at that and say, oh, that's like bad. But really, is it not necessarily because you're taking an experience, you're doing something and you're, you're becoming better from it. It's not like you lost your life savings and you're, you know, it's, it's a negative thing. Same thing with me. I was 18 and, you know, blew what I had or whatever. But that, it's like a, these are life experiences. These are yeah. these are. And, and, that, and that's and then this is kind of a weird way of looking at it. But I'm just saying it's like it's not a, you can't control the the bottom line is that you could talk about vices, um, you know, adult entertainment, uh, alcoholism, a good example. Right. You can't control our people. People have addictive personalities and they're going to find a way to do something um, that's that's negative. Right. That's not going to be a well, great. Me, yeah. Me, mental health is serious. So. Yeah. The people who become addicted to gambling or addicted to alcohol don't want to be addicted to these things and don't want to lose their families. So we have to take mental health really seriously. But at the same time, we live in a society that does sell cigarettes. It seems like a dumb thing to sell, but it sells cigarettes and it sells alcohol and it sells um, it sells gaming um, and you know, I think that if the, if the if the consumer, if the customer, you know, understands the product that the customer is buying, and if we are sensitive to mental health issues and alcoholism, you know, bartenders are not supposed to be psychologists, but they're certainly not supposed to serve people that they think are you know are, are shouldn't be served another drink. And so it's you know it's a bit of a slippery slope 
and it is a minority of people certainly that have gambling addiction and gambling problem, but it's, it, it's by no means not a problem. Of course it's a problem. Right. For sure. No, I, I like, I like that. Obviously that's something you, you I'm sure have dealt with and talk about, and this is something that's a big part of the industry is like you said, you, you're, you're looking Overall, you want people to, it's an entertainment. You want people to come back. You want people to have a good time, have an experience and, and not go over their heads. And, and you can only. Yeah, so can I give you another example yeah. okay, that, that, that people don't talk about? So online shopping has become a big problem for some people who can't help themselves, but to buy everything they want to buy and max their credit cards. All right. Now we shouldn't legislate online shopping, but there, there, there is a mental health issue related to online shopping and the instant gratification, the adrenaline gratification of having a little bit of credit left on your card and be able to get that thing, you know, delivered to you tomorrow. But I'm a big fan of Amazon and I'm a big fan of online shopping. And I think it's an amazing technological advancement in, uh, in our society. So um, there's a lot of things that, that, that people can do to extreme and, um, and, and we just have to be conscious of it and, and not take advantage of people. I, I couldn't agree more. I, Mitch, I said we were, that was our last one. I forgot. I had a couple of questions from my wife, Amelia. No, those me. are more important. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I sort of covered some of this, but um, how, he was, she was asking, how do you balance time with life and work? Do you have a set time hours? I mean, I've, I've, like what, what is your sort of overall, how would you, how would you address that balance work life and balance? It's a little different now too. You've done so much. Let's take in the heart of your career. Like what, what was like some tricks or things? I love how you said you would get on that flight. You would get home like those type of things. Like that's, that to me is ex- that, that, that shows a lot or that that's like, wow. Yeah. That does make a big difference. You know, get back. So you're there in the morning, yeah. instead of night, but give me like a little bit about how, how would you say you balance that? Okay. So I think the balance, it comes from being honest with yourself. So it is extremely easy I don't care what business you're in. It could be, it could be the poker business or it could be Cirque du Soleil. You could go to every meeting and you could go to every dinner and you could go on every business trip and you could take every meeting. And the balance comes from the discipline of choosing what is most important to do. Do you need to be at that dinner? Because it would be better to be at home. Okay. And then you have people who don't want to be at home. That's a different story, but I want to be home and you want to be home. So um, I think the balance comes from prioritization because work is a priority from eight in the morning until six, 7 PM on a Wednesday, you're not going to be home in your business. Maybe you can be home, but in mine, you're not going to be home. So let's make sure that if you're going to extend that either, you know, past six thirty, seven o'clock for a dinner or uh, a trip that it's really necessary, that's the balance. And that the weekend is not spent working. Now my, you know, I, like I said, I'm 55. So I got my first Blackberry in 19, I think 91, changed my life, right? You might, the ability to look at your phone and answer and be around your family or put the phone away, which is obviously a better result, but sometimes that's not possible. So using the technology to be home more often and prioritizing the demands on your time, those are, those are, those are, the, um, those are, those are the metrics. What am I, why am I going to this dinner? Do they need me? Am I the eighth person at the dinner? Does it have to be a dinner? Can we do a call? And these are the things that people get wrong. Uh, I got it, I got it wrong a lot, but I'm saying, you know, it, you know, I, I now understand it really well. And it ta- sometimes it takes balls to say no, I'm not going because you're not in a position to say no. You're you're trying to make it and climb the ladder. So any time anyone asks, you go because you don't want to miss anything. You know, you it's like real FOMO. It's like, FOMO. Yeah, like yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like it's like money career advancement FOMO. It's like not bullshit FOMO. It's the real thing. Right. So 
Um, that's the balance, figuring out the true prioritization and trying to manage the FOMO and the, you know, the, the career advancement over family. And um, there's, there's no better advice than that. Awesome. Um, what do you like to receive as a gift? Like I, I just, in terms of, uh, I just, it's kind of a strange question, just like, you know, if birthdays or something like what's something yeah. that's kind of cool for you to get as like someone who, cause it's hard, right? You're, you're a successful businessman. No one's going to get you something that you don't want. Right. Like it just, for example, or family, what's like a thing that's kind of cool for like a trinket or something that you just like think it's like thoughtful, but is, uh, what, what's like something that would mean something to you? Yeah. So a friend of mine bought me these, these trackers you put in your golf club that like it tracks on your phone. Uh, the trajectory of your ball, uh, how many strokes you've taken, uh, like things I would never think of, you know, like cool stuff like that. Um, I bought, I bought this guy, a golf club that I saw on, uh, on TV. Like I got totally sold by, by, (laughs) by the commercial that this, that this hybrid club was going to be like the, the end, the be all end all. Um, if someone sent me a picture of me and them, I would think that would be really cool. So my friend, Robert from Playtica, he sent me uh, a glass encased, like a Lucite encased picture of he and I, uh, taken sitting on a couch, someone had taken a picture of us from, from high up. And it was an amazing picture. It sits on my desk today. That's um, like yeah, that's that's so fun. The, the, uh, the hard card, like nowadays it's all Instagram or Facebook or whatever. You just have like these things, but like I, I get, getting like a hard, um, copy of a picture, especially if it's like framed or really cool. That, that is cool. Cause those are, those are yeah. rare these days. You don't really see that kind of stuff. Once okay. in a while, you know, once in a while someone sends me a handwritten note, I'm like, Oh my God, a handwritten note. Right. So I haven't written one, but I get handwritten notes and that's, that's old school. Yeah. That's very cool. <laughs> All right. Last question, Mitch, I promise. Well, I think I promise. What do you seek? Uh, what do you do to seek your personal development to be better every day as a human being? What are, what are things you do sort of for a uh, personal development? Um, yeah, I think you you start to be at this point in my career or my life. I'm more kind of concerned with what my you know what my kids think of me and what they think of themselves and what role I played or could play in it. Um, then I'm you know do I try to you know read about things that I'm interested in? Yeah, I mean, do I try to use my platform? to communicate social messages that I think I can be helpful in communicating that makes me grow. You know, if I can help uh, the government here communicate to young people to stop congregating, like that makes me feel really good. You know, that's not the financial feel good. That's like, wow, you're producing uh, a real impactful result from the things that, you were able to succeed at in your life, which society says make you successful, okay, which is money, status, title, and all that stuff, okay, and I do value those things, but you're able to take it and use it for other things, and that's what I want to do, to be able to give good advice to my kids, good advice to people, that uh, my wife thinks I'm a good husband, um, those are the kinds of things that, you know, that that are going to make me grow, grow today, I don't need to do another M&A transaction, and I don't need to, um, to get another chairmanship of another company. Um, it's nice to be considered. I don't need another award. They're nice to get. Um, but I just think that if I can use all those things and have some small positive impact, so I'm raising a lot of money uh, philanthropically. And I know that the reason that they ask me to chair these fundraisers is because they think that my, my platform or my persona here uh, is going to help raise more money. And since we all know that, then I'll go to the factory of uh, Bombardier or, or Deloitte in Montreal, and I'll speak to all the factory workers about whether they could give $2 off their paycheck and make them feel good about giving even $2 uh, 
because that's what true philanthropy is. It's giving some what you can afford to give. So I'm, I think I'm growing by uh, trying to take the material success, okay, and use it to do better things because the, it doesn't feel good to drive the Ferrari and not do something meaningful. It does feel good to drive it and do something meaningful. So right. I don't need to be hypocritical and say I'm not selling all my assets and, and, and you know, um, and, and living a, a different life. I just want to be able to live a little bit more um, productive, productive life. Very cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, I love that. Love to end on a, a high note talking, uh, getting some wifey questions in. We, she says, hi. To I, love her. I, lo- I love her. She's, she's one of the greatest, nicest, most balanced people that I know. And I really, really respect her a lot. Thank you. And Marie as well. You did, you did very well. You're very lucky. And then Dylan and Ryan are great kids and, and say hello, please to them. For yeah. us. And uh, yeah, Mitch, let's, on the last note here, we're just going to roll on. Uh, I'm going to take this tweet. looks like over, like 80 something questions, pretty, pretty strong considering you're not, you know, you're a, uh, you're a guest. Uh, a lot of guests are in the poker world specifically yeah. are players. You're, you are, you know, very unique perspective on the industry and, and appreciate the time. So let's copy this. And Mitch, do you tell me when someone's going to win a 55 ticket from none other than party poker, your roots, someone's going to get a ticket today. So you just tell me when to roll. All right, no, let's do it. We're rolling it. There it is. Someone is getting a $55 party poker ticket. There it is. It's a long name, a lot of numbers. We're going to message them on the side. They're going to win. Congrats on the $55 ticket. And Mitch, I'm sure, I hope we'll see you soon, but the reality is it may not be a while in person, but we okay, go. Okay, we'll, yeah, we'll FaceTime game. each other. Yeah, Let's a little poker face game or, or okay, something. Let's do it. So cheers, man. Mitch Garb, everyone. Thank you so much, Mitch. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.